banquet. So um, today we're talking about uh, attacking the character sheet and stuff like that. Um, and it got me thinking. There are a list of conditions in the back of the book. And a lot of them are hardly ever used. Like, 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 the, like the status conditions? The status conditions. Yeah, okay. Mm-hmm. A lot of them are like hardly ever used. paralyzed that shit. Right? Exactly. Yeah, okay. Which one is your guys' go-to condition when at a table? Roll for it. Yeah. Slither and die. I rolled 3d6. Why 13. You, why are you rolling 3d6? Uh, because we're doing the character sheet episode. So why aren't you doing 4d6 and dropping the lowest like a normal human being? Uh, because I play hardcore, bitches. Should we all do this? No, that no, is a that shit ton be, of dice. That, that would be a shit yeah. ton of dice. And uh, well, Does that mean I win? I uh, think that means you win. Yeah, yeah, your 14 beat my my 3d6. I find... Which is my go-to one? Your go- as, what as is your DM? favorite? What is your favorite one to go to as a DM? As a player? Unconscious. We uh, know. <laughs> we know. <laughs> as a DM, like my favorite one to use against the players, you mean? Yeah, yeah. I enjoy. I'm. I'm old fashioned. I enjoy incapacitated. That's a favorite. That'll get the blood rushing. All right, hold on. Yeah. Which, which one is incapacitated? Incapacitated. Can't do dick. No, no. But seriously, what? what uh, you can't take actions or reactions. You literally can do nothing. So no, no. no you well, you can move and take bonuses. Restrained is that you cannot use your movement. You're stuck in place. Yeah. Incapacitated. You can't do actions either. You're complete. You're essentially you're. Well, I would say you're paralyzed, but you're not paralyzed because that's a different one. Right? Yeah, that is a different one. So what you're saying though is that the rogue can still run sixty feet away if you're incapacitated. Yeah. I don't know. Is a move action an action? No, 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 no. Because it doesn't say can't take attack action. No, no, no. There's actions, right? And then there's bonus actions, and then there's your movement. It's not a movement action. They're yep. very specific about that. Well, what is so this? I would say that the rogue can, can run 60 feet away. Absolutely. Yeah. Or disengage and run 30. Can't take actions or reactions. Does that mean you can still take bonus actions? Yeah, absolutely. Oh, shit. Yeah. I think Are what, you sure on that? Yes. Okay. All right. I went next. Mine? Exhaustion. Come on, yeah. guys. You guys know this from a personal experience. Fair point. I will just fuck your life with exhaustion if I can. Oh, it, it gets brutal real quick. Yeah, I, it, because it's not just the one thing that, that gives you the one level of exhaustion. I'm hitting you with six toxic darts, and you have to make six saves. And yeah. you're going to make two of them, but then that's four levels of exhaustion. Oh, you go Ace Ventura when nature calls real quick. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Three darts is too much. <laughs> that's Adam's game right there. <laughs> I literally did that uh, with pigmates. Yeah. Ah! Uh, I feel like I've been there. <laughs> I can't count the amount of times in our campaign that my character's dragged himself across a battle map because he just, that's his only option. I'm amazed that you haven't gotten five levels of exhaustion just so that, like, someone else hasn't picked you up and walked you to the end. <laughs> yeah, very possible. So, me, my favorite one is Petrified. Yeah. Um, oh, that's a good one. I like Petrified for one main reason. It is one of the more beneficial conditions. If you are petrified, you are immune to all damage. Or sorry, you are resistant to all damage. Sure you are, man. But if I break your thumb off, you're not getting that back. Yeah, come that's back. a fair point. Like, th- th- there's going to be a point there where I'm like, yeah, absolutely. But I drop you off a fucking cliff. Yeah. You are shattered. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> True. But, like, if you wanted to do a thing like you had to protect an NPC for a combat, make them uh, petrified for the combat. I don't know if on. they're going to agree to that. <laughs> It's an NPC. What do they care? <laughs> they're going to have trouble arguing from the bag of holding. That's <laughs> <laughs> from the mentality of NPCs are just NPCs. It's they're like, fodder. That they're, NPC may be the king, though. They're arrow magnets. <laughs> yeah. He's just royal arrow magnets. Send in the NPC. That's the king and his daughter. Yeah. Send them in. <laughs> um, okay. Yeah. So those are my favorite ones. Uh, so today we're talking about 
Attack on the character sheet. Uh, intro first. I botched that so hard. You Let's fucking, redo that. Yeah, let's, let's redo that. Let's redo that shit intro that you <laughs> failed to edit out. I, I'm editing this That's, month. Oh, let me yeah. edit it out. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Dad. Dad has had to so, deal with... So, attacking the character sheet. Oh, Dad. You've <laughs> done so much editing, man. I'm so grateful for what you do. Welcome to It's a Mimic with your DMs, Adam, Dan, and Terry. Now, welcome to another episode of the It's a Mimic podcast, a roundtable Dungeons and Dragons discussion where you never know what you're going to get. I am Dan, and with me are Adam and Terry, and today we're talking about attacking the character sheet. That was only the second try. Yeah, yeah right? That was pretty good. Nobody's going to hear the first try just because of the wet fart that Terry made during it. But. Yeah. No, well, he really got to change his diet around a bit. So there's more than hurting people than just their hit points. You have a full character sheet of targets. So today, what we're going to do is we're going to be flipping through our character sheets, our expel spreadsheets, our D&D Beyond character sheets, whatever they are, um, our rough approximation of hieroglyphs on a napkin that show us what our character is and figuring what on there we as dms can target in our dungeon mastery episode today so gents um the first thing i do want to go over is the more stats let's focus on more of the mechanical mechanical things right off the bat and i want to know um on that front page of the character sheet what are you attacking as a dm and how are you attacking it? And what cautions can you throw at DMs for getting overzealous at this? Because there, there's a line here that could get crossed way easier than just standard hit point damage. Okay, okay look, all right, go, you go first. I was there. just going to check one thing with you, just to see if it was deliberate, because it may be the best or worst thing I've ever heard. When you talk about magic a second ago, did you mi- did you mean to say expel spreadsheets? Because you did, and I thought you it was did, beautiful. and I thought it was yeah. genius. Yeah, just own it, Dan. Sure, yeah, 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 yeah. Sure, I did. All right, so... Did I actually write expel stretch? Anyway, um, first and foremost, you're like, what, what do you what do you hold... Uh, like, how often do you do this? Yeah. So that you don't go over the top Over the top. I'm going to say this right now. Keep this shit to, like, once a session. Yeah. What we're about to talk to, if you're doing it more than once a session, you've got to know your players pretty well, or you got to be tier four, high level. Yeah. Because if it's coming into it, if you're level two, and you're hitting them with all the shit that we're about to talk about... Yeah. Then your players are just going to be pissed. Right, you are earning their trust as a DM, and so I think that it's only fair to hit them with more than one of these things if you telegraph it ahead of time. Yeah, I th- yeah, exactly. The the standard goblin can't be affecting your max hit points because then they're like, "What the fuck are you doing?" Yeah. Right, and it's it, and even if they are because they're the super red goblin over in the corner that yeah. you've kind of like talked up a bit, then the next one can't be affecting your their speed. Right? Yeah, you're getting too fucky with it. Right, so I would yeah. really. A really caution, because the entire game is based around resource management, and the main resource is hit points. Yeah. Yeah. Right? The action economy and hit points, which means you have to focus on the hit points, because that's what everybody signed up for when, when they did the social contract of, let's play D&D. Yeah, right? that's the, that's the, it's almost like the social contract, right? That's the expectation of, okay, this is what we'll primarily be attacking. Yes, we're open to different things and different challenges, but the expectation is you're not just going to attack my charisma every single time. Yeah, and so especially because you, they're not going to build their characters with that in mind. So no. you're already blindsiding them compared to their session zero or their pre-session one prep, right? So uh, I just think that it's like it's like music where not every single part of the song can be the bridge. The bridge is a really nice way to mix it up. It's a really good way to, to have a tonal 
uh, change key, right? Uh, the key change. There we go. Dan's looking at me like, Burr. so, um, but it's good if you're changing the key every note. That's, yeah, that's d- discordant and bad. Yeah. Like you're, yeah. you're falling apart at that point. Um, you should also, we did mention it briefly in your sessions there. You should bring up that no part of your character sheet is going to be safe. Um, and this should be kind of a lead into tier two kind of thing. If you're sitting down with your players and everyone's hit that level six point, you mentioned, guys, just so you're aware, the gloves are coming off a little bit and I will be attacking other things just so that they're not startled by it. Right? You could telegraph it by a character ahead of point before you have this conversation, but I know at some tables that I've played at, that would still go over poorly. You could telegraph the shit out of it. You could say, that goblin right there, when he hits you, will take strength damage and uh, you will take strength damage from him. You could say that blatantly to a player. You walk up to the tank, you walk up to the barbarian, you hit them, and you deal four points of strength damage. That barbarian's pissed. That's on them, though. That's not your responsibility to cater to that. If you're, if you're at the session zero is when I would lay it out. Yeah. You're saying do it at the start of every tier. But if you're making something obvious and there's that social agreement that that's okay, and then somebody's getting mad. That's not your bullshit. That's their bullshit at that point. Yeah, um, I, 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 I don't could, think I could you, roll with that a little bit, but yeah. Yeah, I don't think you then have to go, oh, I warned you and you're you're mad, but you agreed with it earlier. Like, I don't think you need to adjust to that. I'm, I'm saying just make sure it's fresh in their mind before you start yeah. doing it, right? It's going to be different for every table. There are going to be some tables with some immature players or some people that are very... Um, uh, personally attached, I guess, is the... Yeah, light way to say it to their character. Um, they're they've lost perspective on everything else. In fact, it's supposed to be a fun game. And if you know you have one of these people at your table, like Dan Handle says, that situation well. Yeah. yeah, and be blunt about this and give them the opportunity to think about it before initiative yeah. starts. Right. Also, so. you are going to want to seriously consider um, how to get your party to heal some of these type of effects because some of these aren't blatantly written out in the DMG about or in the player's handbook how to fix it, right? I mean, lesser restoration, greater restoration, those are really good ways to attack a lot of the stuff we're going to be covering, but have other options for other things. And if it's damage, I know in previous editions there was damage and there was drain and they were two separate things. Mm. So you could say strength drain or strength damage. A lot of your more veteran tables will still get the two of them com- uh, confused and how to heal them confused. So really kind of... And it's easy to show that ahead of time. It is. It's by really having a, an NPC that's already afflicted, then recover somehow. Exactly. And then make that recovery point far away or difficult to get to or whatever that is. Make or it limited in some way. Yeah. Form, so yeah. so I, I'm with you 100%. On yeah. This. Okay. So grab our D20s. Uh, we've each got three things that we're going to talk about. So uh, uh, roll and we'll just do one around the table. Yeah. Okay. Really like oh, you got it. That was cocked. Do you oh. want to go again? Uh, oh, you got a six. Oh, uh, that, that is a one. I got yeah, 12. That's a 12. I got a 10, and Terry got a three. So, Adam. Yay, Adam goes first. I got a three. Oh, I did get a three. All right, so I'm going to start off with a bang on this one. I'm not. I'm going to be running out the gates full bore here. My favorite thing to do, which I have not done yet to you guys, but is to temporarily know. take away death saves. Or add death saves. Okay. This I feel like you're you're a risky DM though. You take risks here, and this is. Uh, but you've also openly admitted many times you have proclaimed from the mountaintops of this podcast that you 
hate how easy, how hard it is for players to die. That's right. But remember, it's also about the illusion of death because I, I've also said many times, I want the characters to live. Yeah. Right. I am on your side more than the other people around the table. Like Dan's character, Lockie, the only person more or that is as invested as you are is me. Everyone else is like, yeah, it's a pretty good character, but you know, if he dies, we'll Dan will roll up something else that's interesting. Is Lockie still alive? He's still alive. For now. <laughs> but so here's my thing with death saves. First and foremost, I think that there are um there are two ways to go about it. You can either take away so it only takes two failures before you are permanently dead or you can add now it takes four successes for you to come back this is really limited to boss encounters i would not do this just no willy-nilly right this is all about your anti-life zone you got uh bitten by a vampire but it didn't take but you haven't had a long rest yet this is going to be fine if you get a long rest you uh took five levels of exhaustion and you got healed up Somehow they restored you back up, but you, there should still be some sort of negative effect there. Mm-hmm. You were resurrected, true resurrected. You were dead 20 minutes ago, and now you're back. You only have one death save failure mm. before you are dead again because it is a very, very thin rope that you are swinging by right now. Yeah, And so death saves, playing with the death saves, and being, again, this is not something you spring on the player in the moment. You don't say... Oh, uh, what'd you roll for your death save? That's it, you're dead, right? It's it's something that you say, you have this condition. There's this thing that happened. You've entered a, a, an area, uh, and so there's there's radiation that's pouring in, which makes it more difficult to come back, or you are very close to the Grim Reaper, mm-hmm. or whatever it is. When you get hit by this specific creature, or you are... Um, you are Face to face with a death tyrant, and you want to make it that much scarier, or a or a night walker, or a mummy lord, whatever it is, some lich, whatever undead thing is coming at you that is all about death. This is when you say, "Hey, look, you're in its lair. Mm-hmm. These are the new conditions. It's harder for you to stay alive. the The faster you slip, the more difficult it is to come back. Right? The more death saves you lose." the more likely you are to die. Yeah. And so, and you can ramp this up and this will just force your players ideally to flee. It puts retreat on the table. Mm-hmm. So again, this is not something that I would do all the time. I would probably pull out the death save effect maybe three or four times. Maybe this happens on the astral sea when you're projecting out to it. Right. And, and your cord gets cut, but you don't want like, the the astral dreadnought cut the player's cord, that silver cord that comes from the top of their head, mm-hmm. which means technically they should be dead. But you don't want to do that as a DM because that's a one-hit kill. What's, does it succeed? Yes, then it wins. And it's not even the player that gets to roll it. It's the astral dreadnought. Yeah. So you want to say, okay, look, you now have a single death save. Do not drop below zero hit points or you are fucked. Right? This is... Um, I would even do this for, for drowning. If you are underwater and you are drowning and you've hit zero hit points, you have to maintain. I do this to you guys, actually. You have to maintain successes until you get air. If you roll three failures, you die. If you roll seven successes before you roll three failures, you're still alive. Oh, my God, you're still doing it. I don't know where you're getting the stamina from. Here we go. Yeah. Right. And so this is the kind of thing that I would 
I would play with very infrequently, but it's very powerful when you do it. So that's you, you mentioned one thing earlier about the uh, almost res sickness um, aspect of this, and I, I really like that. That really resonates. Um, I was flipping through some like obscure rules uh, in the book this week, and I came upon like downtime activities. And there's one thing in the player's handbook under downtime activities called recuperating. And this is when you spend a lot of downtime recuperating from an effect that would kind of hinder your regeneration of hit points, uh, disease, or poison. There there are these rules that are in there. Um, And I think this would work very, very well for that and have your character once every three days roll that DC 15 constitution save to see if now they get their two after their res sickness. And then three days after that, roll it. You need to stop saying res sickness and say the whole thing for people because they're going to be confused. Uh, like their resurrection sickness. Yeah. Okay, thank yeah. You. yeah. Um, if, if you roll that, you know, below that 15 one day, you now have to wait three more days before you get another one. And I hope there's not an adventure coming down your pipe. Yeah. This is the other thing too that I like about Incubi and Succubi and Night Hags. These things that hit you while you're asleep and you can feel yourself withering and your, your muscles start to, to become, but you're not taking necrotic damage. You're not poisoned. You're not even cursed. So what is this? Mm-hmm. Right. And this is where I would say, Hey, you know what? Death saves are being affected. Mm-hmm. Right. So, and I feel like removing one death save is more powerful. Like removing one failure is far more powerful. Than adding one success, and I'm I'm not sure the math on that lines up equally, but I feel like it's much more intimidating. I think yeah yeah three to two is a lot more intimidating than four to three. Four to three, that's right. Right. So it's the best of five as opposed to the best of seven. Ask any hockey fan. That's why they kept <laughs> <Yep>. adding them. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So anyway, that's uh that's kind of my first one there. Do you guys have any thoughts on on death saves? Um. I mean, it's a slippery slope, right? I like, well, like, and like I say, this is really meant sometimes. Well, I like the idea of talking about resurrection sickness of um, as long as it's it's laid out to the players of permanently removing a death save if you're resurrected. Because we talked before about consequences. Yep. You have been resurrected, but you are now closer to death. The angel of death or the raven queen or whatever senses you and is now now wants you, now covets you, and so you are that much closer to death, and so you now have one death save removed. You have, um, yeah, it's going to be, like, there's an item that you need to keep on you, right? Yeah. Which will give you your third death save, but don't lose it. Yeah. Right? Or, or hey, you need a wish spell, can undo this, or you have to find the deck of many things and hope that you draw the right card. Yeah. Shit like that, in order to remove this permanent effect. Yeah. Where now it's a, it's a MacGuffin to save yourself to make it so that you're not quite as squishy as you were. So. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Cool. Um, well, I rolled next and um, I decided, uh, Adam, you got the death saves. I'm going to target your max HP. Now, there's a couple things in um, the game that already do this, like vampires, sturges, anything that kind of does a blood drain effect is targeting your max HP. It's a great thing to target to make all of your players, including your already incredibly squishy wizards and sorcerers sweat bullets. Um, however, not bullets, not bullets, bullets. Right. Um, however, there's one massive caveat, and that is if your group follows the death from massive damage tables. So you got to be aware of this and be careful because you could supersede de- supersede death saves by missing this. So what death by massive damage is? If you are brought below 
um, zero hit points. So if you're brought to zero hit points, um, and there is still additional damage from that attack, and that additional damage is more than your max hit point total, you die right out. So if you are, say, a third level wizard, and you have 16 hit points, and you are brought to zero damage, and there's still like 20 hit points left of damage there, you're straight up dead. And this was to be, to exercise the realism of, so say, Dan, if I was to play out a fantasy and shoot you point blank in the chest cavity with a 50 caliber sniper rifle. Whose fantasy is this? It would. Is it mine? Did did I say fantasy? Oh, yes. I think it's because I'm talking about fantasy role-playing games. Oh, that's what it is. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <clears throat> if I and, uh, the, the, the would be so massive and your heart would be obliterated that therefore, um, there's death far saves, too many details for this to just be Adam. Death fantasy. saves. Death saves would be uh, redundant at that point. At that point, we're watching the life drain from your face. Absolutely, the, the, the light in your eyes slowly dim. We're, 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 we're I'm, I'm sorry the by coldest. the light in my eyes slowly dimming. Any light in your guys' life is then also dimming and extinguished because I'm like the only person who gives you two a chance. I know, I'd, be, I'd be pretty happy with that. Dan, I was born in the darkness. I didn't see the light until I was already a man. I could tell. You are pale as fuck. <laughs> <laughs> oh, damn. <laughs> he called you out. Didn't <laughs> <you>? <laughs> fuck us fast. <laughs> Motherfuckers. <laughs> he actually had that insult prepped for me. <laughs> you know, I didn't apply to everyone at this table. Let's be honest. We're so white. We're like, we're translucent. We are radiant damage Dan, standing Dan, at a table. Dan scored a critical hit. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, so... Um, Finder, I hate the Sturges, but they're great source of this. Your they vampire. sound like a shit indie band. The Sturges, the Sturges, yeah, sounds like an awful indie band that would support the Strokes or something like that. I like the Strokes. Well, I'm not even touching that one. Dan, haha. <laughs> 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 so uh, th- I don't really have much else to say. Uh, the, the, okay, so the thing about the max hit points is uh, it's it's not actual hit point damage. There, it's uh, all possible. right. So 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 I have two questions about it for clarity's sake for yes, the people sir. listening. All right, the the first question I have is: Let's say that you have uh, ten max hit points. You're level two. Yeah. All right. You have ten maximum hit points, and you've already lost two. So you have eight of ten. And that 10, you get hit by a Sturge and you lose one hit point. That 8 doesn't move as well. So your maximum hit points is you're down to 9, but your but your actual hit points are still at 8. Or do they both drop? They both drop. Okay. That's very, very, very fucky. And that is very, very, very confusing for the people sitting around the table. Yeah. So and, and it's, it's something to be clear about when you're, of course... A lot of this is our session zero yeah. stuff. If you are losing your max hit points, you're losing from your current hit point total as well. But your ability to be healed up to your previous, like, before you walked into a cloud of Sturge's max hit points is uh, limited by this max hit point damage. So to break it down so it's simple, I currently have 85 out of 100 hit points. Sturge, for example, hits me for five max hit points. That 85 drops, drops to, to 80, 80, but the 100 drops to 95. 95. Okay. Exactly. And now you can only be healed up, up to, to 95. 95. Up to 95. All right. So this brings me to my second question. If you take constitution damage, do, do your max hit points drop as well? Yes, because max hit points are calculated in your max hit points anyways. And if that number drops, your max hit points would also drop. And at that point... Because the modifiers... If, if you have a 14 con, you take two con damage, you now lost... One point, and you are level 10, you're losing 10 hit points off your max and your current hit point totals. Okay, this this gets, yeah, this gets a little bit weird, though, when you only got that because you put two into constitution the last level. 
at your last ASI, right? Is that rules as written down that you're saying there, or is that just kind of what you tend to go with? That was rules as written for 3.5. I'm not entirely certain what it is in 5th edition. I, as a matter of fact, I'm not sure they really touch on it. I don't think they do. They've like, kind of left this one open. I might hand wave that and say that uh, your hit points got to where they are as a reward of whatever, blah, blah, blah. But just because your constitution drops now doesn't mean your hit points drop now. I w- I would st- I'm going to agree with you on this, uh, Terry. Um, just because I don't want to do the math at the table every time this thing hits someone. And if you're in combat, it's going to happen exactly. often. I'm dragging down initiative because I'm sitting there going, okay, that's great. You need to remove 17 max hit points from your thing over here. And you over here have to, have to remove 14. Especially when this is like an area of effect yeah. that, that hits with uh, with ability scores. I know that you're going to cover ability scores in a minute. Well, but the way I would put it as well, if I imagine I just uh, referred to Bane a second ago. If we imagine Bane, Tom Hardy is Bane. He and, I, and I often do. Well, he is. I don't know what's the word for Tom Hardy. He's fantastic. His accent changes every other week, but whatever. So does Christian Bale. Uh, but he, his, so does Dan. Dan you know, Tom Hardy's body is nothing short of phenomenal. Um, but if he was to suddenly get some sort of disease that affected his internal constitution, his body is still prepped to take a, take a lot of damage. That's I've watched Venom. It, yeah, the tracks. Yeah. <laughs> if he was to get a parasite, for example. Yeah. Yeah. But, like, there's a difference between being sick and not being able to bench press the same amount of... Right? Like, right. So, and I know the bench press is strength, but I'm, I'm having trouble coming up with a, with, with a parable here. Dan, do you have the answer in your hand? I do, actually. If your constitution modifier changes, your hit point maximum changes as well, but not your total. So, okay. your, your current hit points... Would not change, but your maximum would drop. What if we go below? If your maximum hit points drops below your, your current hit points, I would say it drags it down like an egg. Then it drags it down. Okay, okay. Yeah. Okay, well, that's good. You're very fast at uh, uh, researching things, Dan. I played three, five, four years. Okay. Rules, questions come up. You get good at it. Um, is that my turn? It is. It is. Okay, well, I'm going to be covering ability scores, proficiencies, uh, saves, and skills. Look, I don't mind taking away from any of these, but I think you have to be very careful with how you do it. Um, if you're going to reduce, reduce ability scores or, or take away proficiency for saves um, or, or, or abilities, I think you need to be very honest with the players from the start. I think you need to throw out a couple of warning shots. I think you need to throw out some NPCs. You need to do. There needs to be something which becomes obvious. You you walk into the let's use an example. Walk into the evil wizard's tower, and he's doing something, experimenting with his rats, and you see the muscles atrophy on the rat, and he seems to be suddenly much weaker. And then he turns the item on you. So it's it's written in with the with the the ex- exploration and the and the narrative of the story that oh clearly this item is going to drain us in some way. I think you need to make it apparent. It's okay to do that. Um, I think you always need to give the players a way out, short term or long term. Um, I don't think you can um, affect their their superheroes that they've created and and then not give them a way out. Now you can do it as a long term kind of mission, like you have to travel across the land and get this thing. Or you can use something like Remove Curse. Adam, I know you're not too much of a fan of Remove Curse. Um, I don't mind it. I just think for things like uh, Remove Curse, if you have Remove Curse in your arsenal, I think you need to be hitting them on a larger scale. I think whatever you're doing to them, it should not curse one of them. It should curse five of them because they're all in the same area. Yeah. I'm, yes, unless it's it's personal. Yeah. Right. But 
Here's the thing about ability scores is uh, ability score drain. Yeah. A lot of people like to use it. This is a very common homebrew. Yeah. And it's going to affect things like not just not just skills and saves, but your ability to hit, right? Depending on which stat gets hit or your ability to cast spells, right? I think that it's a whole other thing in order to hit somebody's proficiencies. That's a little bit scarier. You're well, essentially the reducing their level as well, remember? Like if you're taking away their proficiency or you're reducing their ability scores, you're taking that level 10 fighter down to a level 9, 8, 7 with, with their ability to we, perform. We used to have a mechanic where you could de-level if you lost enough experience. Yeah, and that's now out of D&D. Right. Well, and to a lesser extent, so is like ability score damage and... It's very rare now. It's very rare. Like you have to be a blood-sucking thing to get the con. But there's not a lot of other drains. Like but I'm even looking at like some. Ray of Enfeeblement, which used to take like 1d6 strength damage, is now... Uh, Half damage with weapon attacks that make strength, uh, that use strength. Yeah, but I think that's because people were abusing it. And because we have the flat mass now where something can't have 38 strength, that 1d6 is really powerful. Yeah. So uh, I would really introduce this slowly by saying, um, like what I did with you guys, if you run through a ghost, you take one random ability stat. I roll a d6. And you don't know which ability is going to get hit. Yeah. Right? Because you... All of them this. in my case. It was. <laughs> well, if you would stop Both running of our through cases. them. Yeah. You guys kept running through ghosts. But... Because <laughs> yeah. that was a race. That That's what we were supposed to do during that entire encounter. We were supposed to trigger every single encounter in the entire area. Well, I, went, right? I went down a five-foot hallway and then was blocked by three ghosts and went, I'll just run through them. No. Dead. Well, the other thing that I would I would do as well is, which I learned from this exact um, encounter that we're talking about, is I would put a specific save on it. DC 10, save against this damage. Yeah. So, for example, if, I, if Dan runs through the ghost, I roll a D6, it lands on intelligence, right? And then I turn to Dan and I say, hey, look, there's a DC 10 intelligence save that you need to make right now, or you're going to lose, and then I roll a D4. Yeah. Right? That, I feel, is fair. Yeah. Because here's the other thing about ability uh, stats and whatnot. With the ability drain, HP is protected by armor class. A lot of time, ability drain is just... It just hits. Yeah. Yeah. Right? And there needs to be a save against it if you're going to start homebrewing effects, right? Whether it's poisons or unique spells or well, items or whatever. I know I had kind of the same problem with, like, a Beholder's Eye Rays. Is I didn't know they had eyebrows to raise. Oh, Dad! Nicely done. Um, but they incur saves for each po- uh, hit point damage, but there's no hit for them, even though they're raised, right? And there, there was a little bit of uh, contention between you and me about that. That's because you're wrong, and I don't like it. Is what I'm saying. Yeah, my point is that there needs to be. One role yeah. to determine whether or not damage is incurred, no matter what that damage is. You hit or you save. You right. hit or you, like, either I have to hit Dan or Dan has to save. Yeah. Right? That's it. It doesn't matter what it is. I don't want to stack three rolls on that because every time that there's a roll, that increases the chance of success over and over and over again because it's one success wins yeah. is, is how D&D works, right? So, um so I like I like what you're saying. I also like the idea of targeting specifically... If you don't want it to hurt, if you don't want to kill your player outright, because if you drop to zero of any ability score, you're dead, right? It's not death saves, it's dead, Yeah. right? And so I would mitigate that by saying, hey, your strength saves are getting hit, 
or you are losing the ability to have your sleight of hand. Your hands are, are withering and becoming decrepit and whatnot. Yeah. Well, well, how else do you just attack straight up skills? Well, uh, by having their hands get hit by a ray of enfeeblement or whatever. I mean, not in this case, yeah. but... Yeah, I, I, I like the way you did it, Adam, because it had much more of a Russian roulette type feel to it, which is, it was that standard save, that DC-10. Yeah. But that's going to affect people very differently based on what you land, right? You hit yeah. the bard with a charisma save, they're laughing. You hit the barbarian with a strength save, they're laughing. But when that barbarian gets that DC-10 intelligence save, they're going, oh, fuck, you know? Because their intelligence <laughs> is already low. Oh, fuck. What's the oh, word? What's the word? What's the word? Stop. Fridge starts with an F. Starts with an F. Think like it's think think. I'm <laughs> thinking. So, but they may only have eight in anyway, you know. So, uh, yeah. but I like the way you did it because I was constantly on edge when I was rolling multiple D sixes in that encounter. Oh, that, it was a scary one. You guys were all kind of holding your breath. No, oh, yeah, yeah, for sure. I, I, but it put us on the back foot because we were all looking around at each other, going, "Because it's not standard, right?" Is we were looking around, going, "What the fuck do we do? Like, we can't even. We're getting hurt on our turns." Like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay, Adam, what you got next? All right, are we rolling again? Or do, yeah, no? we'll go. Just go with the same order. Okay, uh, then. Honestly, I really I'm gonna lean right into it and uh what I said death saves before. Hit dice and the ability to heal. This straight up murdered your character. Terry. Yes. The the ability to Which heal Which one? Um that was I don't Solomon know. Solomon Duke. Yep. So um poor Solomon Duke ended up in an area where you could not be uh, resurrected, you could not be healed as long as your body was in this area. You dropped to zero hit points. And then there was no death saves. That's it. You're done. Yeah. Right. And the idea was to stay away from all of these, um, all of these effects as much as possible because suddenly your hit points become very, very, very precious. They're always precious, but this makes them 10 times so. And what I did was I entered the anti life field by myself against your will. Against, yeah, you got pushed down a pit. by myself in front of a death tyrant and all of those things adding up together. Yeah. Um, yeah, and then on the very next turn, you came back as a zombie. Yes, which means like there's no resurrection here. You're you're done. Yeah, right. And that's just it. I love the idea of saying, hey, you know what? You can't heal on your short rest. While you are here in the underdark, you can only use half your hit dice. Yeah, at any one given time, whatever it is, whatever environmental. And I usually keep this as environmental effects. Yeah, or maybe a curse. Well, you did something similar like that when we were in the Feywild and all of our hit dice were maximized when we tried to heal in a short rest or something like that. Yeah, absolutely. You are in the Feywild and you're being imbued with the essence of pure life. Yeah. So therefore, if you want to use one of your hit dice to heal up, just take the maximum value on that die. Yeah. However, if I was going to do it in the Shadowfell now, I would say now you now it's the minimum number on that die. So it's one. You get one per die. Right, and that's my own homebrew thing. I don't yeah. recommend that everybody does that. And we play a pretty gritty, hardcore campaign. Mm-hmm. But I think that that would be really, really interesting when you are in, when your infernal vehicle in uh, Avernus blows up, and you're just out in the wasteland, and you're just getting hit by heat, just tons and tons of heat all of the time. It doesn't matter if you get a short or long rest; you're having difficulty healing. Yeah. Right, and so you're you can heal, but maybe not just by your own stamina by taking an hour long rest. During that hour, you're still hurting, right? So if maybe for every hit die that you use, you're going to take a level of exhaustion, right? 
whatever it is, I, I'm looking at the ability. This is something that we don't really attack often is hit dice. However, I will also say this. I'm very forgiving with um, with health potions because I don't use the standard as a D8. Like a, a D4 wound. plus 4. Yeah, I always say it's your hit die. Plus your your modifier, yeah, your constitution modifier well, on your heels. So. I agree with what you say, and I'm going to talk about environment on my turn as well. But what I want to throw into yours, Adam, 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 Adam is now your name, Adam, is that um, the idea of being okay. We're going to take a short rest, okay? But you're in the nine hells or whatever, or you're in the plane of fire. What are you taking a rest? How are you taking a rest here? <laughs> yeah. Where is the restful area? You can that you lie are down all you like. That's like lying down in Death Valley. Yeah, You're and, not taking a break. <laughs> and I, as much as like Liam's tiny hut will help you with this, it's not getting you out of the environment, yeah. right? Like, like nothing can can penetrate the shield, but you're still on that hard pack, burning hot, yeah. like wasteland. Mordecai, right? it's magnificent mansion. There's there you go. That's your way out of it, yeah. right? But it's going to make people have to think outside the box, and it's going to make the idea of, oh, you know what? It's only an imp we can take them, and everyone's sitting around going. I've only got 40 hit points. Yeah. Right? Suddenly, when those hit points cannot replenish, shit gets fucking real. As we learned in the Call of Cthulhu game, because, oh my god, I had 17 hit points, and, and, I, I, was, and I was being like that generous like, with that as well. That seems like yeah. such a high amount. When I, was, I remember looking at your character going, whoa, 17? Oh my god, maybe one day. Yeah, <laughs> but the shotgun blasts are doing 3d6 damage, <laughs> oh, right? Like, shit. Fuck. That, like, that, that, but it was scary, and it was scary because it was so limited, and you can only heal up one hit point at a time with a first aid check. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And so this is the kind of thing that I'm thinking about now as a DM, having this experience with Call of Cthulhu, I would say that I'm going to play with your ability to heal more often. And maybe it could just be something as simple as you're going to get bonuses by healing in your own home base or on your own airship. There's going to be a room to go into, a temple to some healing god, and you're going to get bonuses there. Mm -hmm. Therefore, when you're taking a short rest in a dungeon, it feels nerfed. And this gives me permission to kind of ramp up the difficulty of bad guys as well, yeah. right? So by playing with the hit dice balance versus the maximum hit point that Dan was talking yeah. about, this is where it can all start to come together. And this is going to be the difference between a gritty campaign and a high fantasy superhero campaign. Dan, you're up next. Yeah. Um, so you mentioned earlier that you like having that stop gap. And for often hit point damage, that stop gap is armor class. I'm saying attack their armor class too. Why the fuck not? You're, um, you're talking rust monsters and, and black puddings and oozes. I'm and not just talking about rust monsters and acid damage to armor and stuff like that. I'm also like a timing can attack a person's AC. If you attack them when they're in the tavern and they are, um, or in the brothel and engaged in certain brothel-related activities. Drinking. Gambling. What I'm saying is attack them when they are not even wearing their armor. Um, then what you have to do is you kind of have to be aware of what the donning and doffing rules for your armor is, the getting on and taking off rules for your armor, uh, which is very simply, if you're wearing light armor, it's a minute either way. Which means if they get to their armor in the first round of combat, they're out for the next 10 rounds. Putting on their armor. This is why I love the idea of, oh, know, are I we going to set a watch? And like, oh, yes, we'll have this one person. I, Everybody else is fucked. I believe heavy it. armor is 10 minutes. To put uh, heavy plate, armor plate is 10 mail? minutes to put on and 5 minutes to take off. Yeah. So yeah, that's right. And Dan medium is right. armor, by the way, is five minutes to put on, one minute to take off. Dan is right. If you're attacking them in the brothel, you got to be very familiar with your doming and subbing rules when it comes to armor, which is what you just said there. Um, 
I completely agree. I agree with Daniel looking at me funny. I think you used the wrong words. I heard doming and subbing, and we we're talking about. No, he brothels. said donning and doffing, Dan. Donning and oh. doffing, I said. Jesus, Dan. <laughs> anyway, anyway, the shields are an action thing. either way as well. Right. right. Okay. Uh, shields are just an action. An action. Either okay, way. Okay. Look, here's the other thing as well, though. Is I would uh, if talking about AC. Let's talk about doing stat damage again with Dex. Yes. Dex is going to affect AC as well. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So keep an eye on that shit. Yeah. The next thing you could do, and I don't think this is very well uh, detailed in 5th edition. Oh, because before we move on, real quick. Because you talked about donning and doffing. Yep. Um, can you sleep in armor? No. No. You get exhaustion. Okay. So There's actually a spell. Because that is an argument out there. Constantly. There is a spell that lets you wear armor and sleep. Yeah. It, it removes the exhaustion. But you're right. You're attacking them in the tavern. Your fighter is up there in his bed. He's not wearing armor. This, this brings up an interesting point, too, and, and you're right, he's not wearing armor or whatnot, but you don't have to be sleeping during your long rest. You have to have a certain amount of sleep, use your common sense, per 24 hours. I think it's eight, hour, eight hours per 24 hours. No, it's not even no, eight it's hours. That. that is just how long a long rest is, and a long rest does not need to be sleeping. A long rest is doing anything that is uh, so long. So how much sleep do you need and how often do you need it? I would say, and again, it's I haven't been able to find anything clear on this, I would say... Uh, six hours every twenty four hours, or and and I'd let you push it till thirty, and then I'm like, guys, you need to rest, or you're taking levels of exhaustion. Yeah, like, where it kicks in is if you are a spellcaster, you need eight hours of long rest, and then on top of that, you need your time to prepare your spells, or to pray, or to meditate, or whatever you need to do to get your abilities back. And that's one hundred percent realistic. I don't know if you've ever, well, I'm sure you guys across your life have, have been awake for twenty four hours. It is unbelievable how quickly you become a fucking idiot if you don't sleep every day. I was up for four and a half days straight one time, and the world had turned gray and was tunnel vision. Like I, everything was far away. You everything can't even was think. far away. No, yeah. no, no, no. And it was like things that happened twelve hours ago were just finally catching up to me. And I'm yeah. like, wait a minute, I need to go tell that person that I'm not available three hours ago. <laughs> yeah. Um. And like you're not firing at all cylinders. No. Right, so I would say thirty hours before you become a fucking idiot. Yeah. Right, where yeah. you're taking that level of that first level of exhaustion. Yeah, we, we could talk about exhaustion in a second. The other thing you could do with armor and AC, break it, literally break it. There's rules for breaking metallic objects in the player's handbook. Is that in the player's handbook or the DMG? It's in the player's handbook. Do you still damage the player? Uh, no, you're damaging the of the armor itself. You're, you're targeting the armor. And this works for shields as well. Uh, I'm not sure on it. Here's the thing, though. If I take a finely sharpened war pick and I swing into your chest, I'm likely going to damage the armor and your ribs. The thing is, there are no rules really defined for damaging armor directly. Is he... This is the rules for damaging a metal object. Right, okay, so here's here's where I'm coming from. I hear what you're saying, Dan. I would clear that as an optional rule. Sundering is an optional rule with the players in your session zero, being able to target items and objects. Because how often does it say that um, with fireball or any fire spell that things that are worn or carried are not do not light on fire? Right? They often say worn or carried. Yeah. Are not affected yeah, by this. And it's talking about your armor and your items. Right? right. So I would be really upfront with, hey, if you guys want to target the thing. That the sorcerer is holding, the evil sorcerer is holding the crystal ball, and you want to target the ball and shatter it, then sure, you can do that, but understand that the bad guys are going to be able to target shit 
you are holding too, including your ancestral blade. So is this really a tactic we want to introduce into our game? Do you know and I, I would say it? I would say there's a certain uh, I mean there's resiliency for hit points as well, and I would throw in a little bit of added special bonus for if that item is magical or not. I, uh, I think do magic grants a certain level of resilience. I put this into crit tables. I would put it into crit tables that um, if you hit, they drop the thing. If they hit, or you or you minus one from their AC based on damaging their armor. Um, you critically fail. You roll if you roll really shitty on a crit table. Uh, you minus one from your your item or something that would attack. I, this I feels it's like true. it needs a lot of home brewing. Yeah, and it needs a lot of communication as well. So I like it. I like it too. <coughs> but me. I like it too. But there's an asterisk on the end of that. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. Uh, there's a hard asterisk on this and. Let's be completely honest. If you are if you are like level two and you have a barbarian and all they've been able to afford is that one battle axe, and you take that thing out of commission, or uh, that one fighter finally finds full plate mail armor, like off a of corpse at level four, and they're giddy with joy, and then the next session you destroy it with a war pick. Like this, this is called antagonistic DMing. I don't do that. No, no, I no, 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 no. I'm with Terry on this. Hold I, on. Well, I kind of think it depends on how you roll it out. I think that this idea that you get something and it's yours forever. I mean, let's take like Skyrim, for example. It's not like that in Skyrim. Your magic will run out. You can hurt this thing. It will be good. This idea that you now have super armor forever. I know it's a fantasy game. It's not realistic. Well, that's why I'm saying I've added a little level of resiliency. Uh, So with the hardness tables, there are also uh, hit point tables for objects. And like tiny little objects like, say, a potion would have a uh, resiliency, a hit point, of 1d4. Yeah. So you need to do 1d4 damage to that thing with an AC of probably 13, because that's its hardness. Yeah. No, I, I think it's okay. As long, I think as long as you communicate properly at session zero. But the, the, the counterpoint to that is you also need to then be using your smiths and your fletchers and armors and stuff more within the towns to repair these items. How this many, makes how, mending so much more important. Because it gets overlooked. And this is this is an excellent time where roleplay and exploration becomes so much more during town time. Okay, all right, look. I, I, I have two, two comments here. First and foremost, I agree with you guys. How many players say, oh, I'm also a blacksmith in the background and whatnot, and, then, and they're really excited about it. The dwarven smith, who is also a fighter at level one and whatnot. Yeah. He's got this background of being a blacksmith, so on and so forth. That's great. Have you guys looked into how long it takes to fucking craft in 5th edition? <laughs> no. It's fucking years <laughs> to make a breastplate. Like, the idea of, oh, I can fix it, is ridiculous. <laughs> I think it's in the DMG. Dan's flipping now to try to find it. No, but, I, I read but, it briefly in here. It's in downtime, which is in the PHP. But crafting takes forever to yeah. do, especially anything magical or anything that's high value. The uh, like you can you could craft I I don't know a glove relatively quickly comparatively, yeah. but I'm not a magical glove. The other thing that I would have to say is if you're going to steal the item the like the like Dan said okay so the fighter gets this full plate armor and he's super excited about it and he wears it and you want to take it away from him then what I would do is I would have the goblin steal it and then hold it over a vat of acid and now they the players have to do what the goblins say or he will lose it yeah. and if they don't then he loses it but give them give the players the agency to get it back before you destroy it outright yeah yeah so, uh, real quick, the rules for crafting, which are in the player's handbook. Uh, you must be proficient with the smith's tools, and you can spend uh, 
one day equals five gold worth of cost. Right, so 1,500 gold pieces for full plate. Which is 300 days to craft a that's... single plate piece of full plate. However, for fixing a longsword, that's four days. Right, but... Uh, but that's... Sorry, for crafting a longsword from scratch, that's four days. For fixing a longsword, you do that in a day. Uh, you know what? I, I hear what you're saying, but I'm going to put the qualifier on it that you need to have the appropriate smithing tools. A blacksmith is not a weaponsmith and is not an armorsmith and is not a goldsmith. They are a blacksmith. They work with iron. They work with steel. Horseshoes. The end. So, so yeah. And sure, I'll give you the, the, the long sword on this. They're going to be able to get it up to the point where it's functional, but it is no longer a plus one item, right? I, I'm taking that away until you can get it to a weaponsmith. The idea is that if you're going to get into the point where there's crafting and people are able to just craft as they see, as they please and as they see fit, because when you get into the herbalism kits and the poisons and shit, this gets out of control quickly, right? I disagree. It's a part of the game that you could bring in. Like I, I, I'm, I'm really on board with it. Even a blacksmith would know the lesser levels of how to. Do advanced weaponsmithing. The, no, so, they would know the lesser levels of it. So they can get it back up to doing its 1d8 damage, but they're not getting it up to doing the 1d8 plus 2 because it was a Mastercraft piece of whatever before. I, I would agree that if it's got some sort of magical enchantment, that requires a little bit more of an expert. But if you say in your backstory that your player is, is a blacksmith, you need to have the appropriate resources and you need to have the appropriate materials. And so the idea of you know what, your long sword broke and I can fix it again? I don't think so. You could craft it into a short sword or you can get it to a weaponsmith, right? Like this is this is where me, as a DM, I can say what you're trying to do is you are sitting around a campfire trying to smith something. Yeah, the answer no, is no. Where's your anvil? <laughs> right? And even if you pull an anvil out of the out of the bag of holding out of the bag of holding where's your fire that's hot enough for this where's your mending steel that you can use that extra pieces of steel that you're getting for this are you able to get it as sharp as it was if you don't have a full proper whetstone for an apprentice to work the sword at 24 hours a day right like this is where i'm starting like where crafting is such a gray area and it's so weird but it should take forever it and and let's be honest it takes forever. Oh, that, that's right? what, I'm comparing it to previous editions, too. Yeah. Where in 3.5, you'd, you'd pump out six great swords in an afternoon. Yeah. Right? It was ridiculous the shit you would get up to in that one. And even 4th edition was pretty easy as well. Yeah. There was a little bit of a limit on uh, in 3.5 as well. But anyways, I like the crafting rules. And especially if your character is carrying around smith tools... I'm inclined to believe that means they're fully equipped to do this. I would allow my players, even if, if they're at a fire pit in the middle of the woods, to do it. Now it's loud, and there's going to be some uh, external environmental dangers to doing it, for sure, because you're sitting there hammering a sword together. Um, and you won't be able to restore the magical enchantment until you see someone more specialized. Sure. But if you're a level 16 player and you have smith tools and proficiency, and even if you've put, like... Um, for some reason or other, ex expertise in your proficiency here. So now you have double proficiency. Sure, yeah. You know what? I'm you know what? You can do it. You are now an advanced, uh, advanced weaponsmith of some sort. You could go ahead and you could fix this broken weapon. Right. Now, at the same time, DMs, don't just be attacking all of the weapons all the time and making this a like daily concern. 
This should be something like if they roll the relic or the should be a big deal. The it? trinket that is like half of a broken sword. It should be a big ordeal to go and find other materials to go. You could use special materials. They did this recently in Critical Role with that kind of stuff. I like the idea, because originally this was based on AC, right? And we've kind of fleshed it out a little bit. I like the idea of damaging armor. I like the idea of damaging weapons. For me, it has to be done sparingly. Mm -hmm. And it has to be, you as the DM have to give them fair chance to repair these weapons. But it's it's fair but firm. Yeah, and and, and, I'm going to agree with you. But you have to be able to draw the line somewhere. Yeah. And my line is simply a weaponsmith is not a blacksmith. Period. The same way that a tinkerer, a gnome tinkerer, cannot repair a fucking carriage. Yeah. They just can't. There are professions. People yeah. are out there they doing They can make it. a jewelry box. They can make they, a jewelry box. They they may be able to craft something that's, that's very fine and small and is detailed like work. watch. They're yeah. not going to be able to fix the, the freaking um, support beams that, uh, that's, that are caving in at the front of the mine, right? Like, they're not able to do that because it's outside of their wheelhouse. And just because you're a dwarf doesn't mean that you know everything subterranean. So there has to be limits here. And so that's where I draw the line. If you're going to be specialized in something, and I love the idea of you're 16, you're, you're level 16, you've got, uh, you're proficient with the tools, you've put expertise into it. Absolutely, I'm on board. You can do that. If you're level 16 and you turn to me and say, oh, we've been playing since level one and I've always had these blacksmith tools with me and it's never come up in the last two and a half years of gameplay, <laughs> but I can totally fix this thing. No, well, you haven't put any time into you've it. You've got skill fade, man. <laughs> right? Yeah, like, but no, you're right. The gnome tinkerer is in, not an engineer. Exactly. You cannot fix your mind in the same way that the miner cannot fix your grandfather clock. Like, yeah, and I would disagree. I would, I would let that gnome tinkerer roll that. I would let that dwarf roll the supports in a mine. I would let them do all of that. I would increase the DC because it's not their special speciality. But we don't have knowledge engineering anymore. We don't have knowledge dungeoneering anymore. Right. We don't have these skills that would be placed towards this. No. So why not give the person who's kind of got the most adjacent skill at least roll it? Because... Go find the NPC that is an engineer. If you're in the middle of nowhere, there is no NPC around to do that, and you need to do it then, I would still give my players the option. I'm saying, like, the the option is there. The DC's high. You have to roll a 25, and I'm sorry, you're level 4. That's not probably going to be it. But I would... would, This is going to be a case-by-case thing. I just can't... Even if the gnome rolled 24, to him, his idea would be like, yes, I know how to fix it. We're going to have to take... A shitload of who, wire. Who's got, who, We're who's got wrap seventeen the wire. long three? <laughs> like three I think even even though their I think their solution would work, but it would still be incorrect. Well, and, <laughs> and, and, and I mean, there there there's multiple resources you have to deal with here. There's not just their ability. I mean, you could have all the ability in the world to build a house if you don't have materials, you're screwed. Yeah, right. and, and that's if other, you don't have the manpower, you're screwed. And and. Right? and uh, the other thing, too, that we're not taking into consideration here, which we started off talking about, but if if the gnome tinker wants to do it, the answer is, yeah, absolutely you can if you're given a month and a half to figure this shit out. Time. Yeah, Time's that's a big, big yeah. thing. Yeah, yeah, as, you're right. As someone who's worked in the trades, time is your most precious resource. Yeah. <laughs> you're not wrong. Right? So, All right. Okay, uh, let's move so, on to the next one. Terry, thing. what do you got? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> What the hell was that AC we just talked about? Yeah. We stopped, now, we got, now we got gnome tinkerers fixing mine shafts because, because Dan started talking about play armor. <laughs> okay, I'm talking about saves initiative and inspiration. Look, I love it. I think you should be able to affect these. Do you know what gets gets missed the most? And we've talked about this before is environment and explorative techniques. I think 
that if you are in the plane of fire or Avernus, or if you're in the tundra, all of these things should be affecting your abilities. If it is so cold that you can't think properly and your muscles are naturally not reacting as fast as they should, yeah, you, should a, yeah, that's, you should have disadvantage on initiative. Well, that too. Like, I don't understand why cold wouldn't, like, drain your exhaustion, make your speed reduced, bring your uh, general effectiveness just down. We've, like, well, we've talked about this before, Dan, me and you, is that everything becomes like doom. Those those gray walls yeah. is what we imagine because we are not exploring with the players constantly that, hey, it is fucking Saskatchewan out here. It is minus 45 degrees Celsius, whatever that is in American a million. And you cannot think, you cannot move. When you throw your water into the air, it freezes. You have disadvantage on initiative. Or I would go as far as if it was really, really hot, I would say that you have you have disadvantage on your con saves. Okay, hold on, really quickly. Would you guys rather be too warm or too cold? Uh, I'd rather be too warm. Too I, cold. Oh, I would much rather I am, be too cold. I fuck. No, I hate. Sweating. I am a. I'll be honest with you guys. I'm a fucking wanker when I am cold. I am. Yes. Are you cold often, Terry? <laughs> you must be I cold am. like six, seven, eight, nine times a day. But oh, <laughs> every time we record a podcast, is this room? Cold? But I am. I am short. I am in. Well, I'm not short. Damn, I'm six feet tall. I'm short compared to you. Shorter than me. Short too. Actually, I'm five foot eleven and three quarters. So you're even more shorter than me. Teenage smoking man. Smoked from <laughs> sixteen twenty four. Lost that quarter inch. Um, I don't um, think that's how that works. But I am impatient. And I would that quarter inch. Warm. <laughs> <laughs> you're measuring it in quarter hey, inches. It's too small. I checked it. I checked it. It's still bigger than the Americans. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, because they're using imperial. Centimeters <laughs> makes it sound more impressive. <laughs> it's like the Olympics where it's like they say they're winning the Olympics because they add up the total amount of medals and not the amount of gold. Anyway. Yeah. All right. All right. Anyway. So, hold on. <laughs> Exhaustion, speed, and effectiveness. Is that what we're talking about here? Yeah. Uh, yes. Uh, okay. I've got something to add to this. Sure. I love the idea of attacking. Um, you're talking about effectiveness overall, right? Yeah. The idea of being effective with like spell saves and your own DC that other people have to have to get past. Right. Right, and not not your ability saves that we had before. Mm-hmm. We're talking about initiative, inspiration. These things they make a lot of sense that your initiative is slower. What about speed? I love the idea of granting speed to people and then being able to take it away. Well, what is it? Right? Frost calls, slows your speed down. So one of them does. We've had this I before. Can I can never remember, remember which one of the cold, cold things yeah. reduces your speed. Yeah, but but I love the idea of that, and I feel why doesn't necrotic? lower your ability to hit appropriately yeah right like if, if your muscles are withering yeah what does that mean and so i like the idea of having kind of super versions of these damage that are a, a, affecting these kinds of of things as changes well. yeah yeah right if if you are deafened come on you're getting disadvantage on your initiative rolls guys you, yeah you don't know that that you have no there. idea what's going on i don't care if you've got the alert feet if you're deaf it doesn't matter <laughs> <laughs> right and so i think that these are I think that these are all things that that a DM needs to sit down and look at and say, hey, even if I'm not attacking it directly, this shit would be affected way more than it is standard D&D yeah. rules. And again, right? it's, so, part, it's using the environment as the puzzle. Okay, you're yeah. now fighting in the tundra. You're now fighting in whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Do we have anything else to add to this one? Um, this we is the so one where we're talking about exhaustion. Um, I just really briefly want to say... Adam, you mentioned in the uh, cold open that exhaustion is one of your favorite things to hit. I would uh-huh. hit the people with exhaustion. It comes up with extreme heat. It should come up with extreme cold as well. Oh, yeah. Because like I said, I'm a fucking twat. Can we say that in this podcast? Is that one too far? In I Canada? Know. I don't think it is. In I don't, Canada. I don't, in the UK, it's like saying darn. 
But I think that's okay. All right. Okay. But um, <laughs> the, the exhaustion, exhaustion itself is it's one of those slow rolling things that all of a sudden is crippling the hell out of you. And and I really like using it um, just to kind of continuously put my players ill at ease. Right, they're they're constantly oh, okay. The first level of exhaustion, you can kind of get by. You got disadvantage on skill checks. Okay, I'm not even really concerned about the second level. It's not until the third that I get real fucked. Yeah, up. but yeah. I think it brings the environment to life as well. It does. You are constantly reminded that you are in this awful environment, and it's it's not just if it's too cold or if it's too hot. If it's too humid, mm-hmm. if you're walking through the jungles of Chult, guys, you when should was be the last exhaustion. time you ate. Yeah. yeah, right. This is all stuff you bring in as a DM for this. Yeah. Um, uh, why are there not things like just um, you have been just merely walking for four days straight? Yeah. I don't know about you. I'm a pale, out of shape white dude from like urban Canada. I don't go on massive hikes like I used to in my youth anymore. Um, I can't handle a four hour walk, let alone a four day walk with backpacks that weigh 80 pounds. I love the idea of people like, oh, we're going to take the fire giant hostage and we're going to drag him back to town. Okay, you might be able to with the strength from your barbarian, your fighter, your paladin, yeah. or dragging this guy, but you're taking a level of exhaustion if you're going to do this. With- Fatigue is a thing. Yeah, yeah, that's like dragging a sailboat or something. Just not going to happen. So, so, okay, so here's my thing about exhaustion. You guys have heard me bitch more than once about the concept of poison. Exhaustion is the effect that I think of when I think of you drank poison. Not you are you have the poisoned condition. Not you took poison damage, but you drank poison, and therefore you're having you're getting disadvantage on things. You're not able to move as yeah, quickly. Right. This is this is where exhaustion comes in. That's my go-to example for other poisons that exist out mm-hmm. there. Okay. So, uh, next along the line. Okay, I have a scenario for you guys really, really quickly. Mm. The evil wizard is sitting there, and he's doing a ritual, and he needs to focus, and he's only got three rounds left in this ritual, and he closes his eyes, and his hands are spread out, and you run across the battlefield with your wand. You ram it up his fucking nose, and you dispel magic. What happens? Silence. Apparently, <laughs> right. I'm just, I'm just imagining like that was just what thinking, kind of wand is it? How that was far just up thinking the outside of the go? box so much. Where I'm like, I'm thinking back to all the encounters I've been where it's like, we've only got so much time. We have to kill them before they. Can. And someone just goes dispel magic on the circle. I don't know if that's going to work, but depends yeah. on the level of the spell. Uh, well, okay. So here's my thought. If you cast dispel magic on a spellcaster, I would just cast silence on top of it personally. But I, I would let you roll. A D4, D6, depending on, on how many spell slots or, or levels of spell slots or levels of spells that they can cast. So if they're a, uh, if they can cast six level spells, roll a D6 and you can remove one of those spell slots because you blew dispel magic on a spellcaster. Dan is like, what is happening? I hate this. I hate this. This is bad. Oh my God. bad idea. Why not, Dan? Spell slots are such a precious commodity that you're you that uh, spellcasters use that is very very precious. They are so's hit points. So so are ability scores. So are ancestral weapons. This is the exact same thing. It's just a different part I'm, of the character. I'm, I'm not saying you can't do it. I'm saying using dispel magic, which is a, a second level spell, is third, third level. Come on. Regardless, isn't powerful enough to remove spell slots. It is if it's up to a third level spell slot. I don't know. There's limitations to dispel magic on this. I don't like it. I like using some other source, 
But hitting a wizard with dispel magic removes the current buffs they have on them. It is the basic rules of the game, right? Which your wizard casting a spell in a ritual in the middle of a combat is going to have some buffs on him. It, it just is. That dispel magic is going to remove those buffs. You're not going to pull away those spell slots with that. What I would do with that is maybe that there, maybe there's a preactive version of um, uh, counterspell you could use. Let your sorcerer blow a uh, sorcery point to uh, to pull that out. Like, what's the difference between counterspell or or dispel magic? Both third level spell slots. The third level spells. I, I I don't think dispel magic fits. Dispel yes. magic, as a matter of fact, is should be more powerful than counter spell because it takes a full action instead of just a reaction. <laughs> you 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 swung at the fences on this one, like and I, and, I, and look, I look, get what you're trying to say. Look, it's, I, it's not about the spell magic. You're getting caught up on the. I'm getting to, I'm getting caught up on look, specifically look, the spell magic. If there are anti magic fields, if there is the ability for you to drain the magical essence out of a character then that is incredibly powerful to be able to do that. To, yeah. to not only, not and wait for it because you're going to hate this, not only take away their spell slots. Name of my sex tip. <laughs> but take away their spells. So they like forget them or they don't that, have access that to them. Is, that is how, okay, so the original pulp fantasy novels that D&D were, were based upon, the um, those novels, they had a basic uh, methodology to how spellcasting worked, and we've long since abandoned that in pop culture now. But what it was is you learned the spell, and that was knowledge in your brain, and when you cast a spell, that knowledge is gone. And you cannot cast it again until you learn it again. You have to go out and find that well, spell again. You can cast it once? You can cast a spell once, and you can only hold, like, two or three spells in your brain at any given time. And if it's super powerful, you only get one, right? Like, And there, that was the, the cost of this. I think that you should be able to modify memory so that you don't remember how to cast that spell. Modify memory is a spell. Oh, shit. You should. Dan, can you modify no, no. memory? Okay, I'm on board with this because this could be something as simple as like pickpocketing the wizard's spell book and ripping a page out of it. Yeah, it, yeah, it could be something like that. You're messing with the spells, it, or just like taking the entire spell book of an of an of a wizard. But you should make it. See, what I would do is I would have the evil wizard have the item that then leeches this thing from the player character. Have something that is like, and then once they kill the spell it. slot for themselves, like you, yeah, you're. Uh, know what? I'm change my mind. I'm on board with this. <laughs> there we go. So if we start looking at spell slots, remember, like there's page one, which is all your mechanical stats. Page two, which is your backstory. Page three, which is your spell list. Why are we only looking at the first two pages? We need to look at that last one. All of the spell slots and everything else. Take the tiefling's ability to do hellish rebuke away from them. Yeah. Just by blessing them. How have a solar angel come down and be like, Fuck you, no! Yeah. And, and we, poof, and now so, they can't do hey, it anymore. We, we I release you from your demonic ancestry. Yeah. You're free now. Exactly. <laughs> By the way, no more hellish rebuke, sorry. <laughs> I, I'm on board with this, but like with all the other things that are... Use you're dancing that line. Use it sparingly. Use There's it sparingly a and, and, and f- make sure you have an ironclad way to reverse this. I wouldn't know. You know what? Not even ironclad way to reverse it. I'm I'm sitting back and I'm going, how are you guys going to reverse this? I'm just going to sit back and wait. If you guys can't come up with anything that tickles my fancy, then, then cast, probably not. No. I'd cast counter spell on myself. I don't. 
No, I, I, well, so you've just, just just like that. There is you know regeneration for disease and whatnot. You could also inject like spell plague into into your. Oh, absolutely! And then there could be cures for it. But that's what I'm saying is they've got to then go out and find out the way to do that. Yeah. And I may not have it built in the exact mechanic on how to fix this yet. But it'll be down the road somewhere. I right? would have a really annoying gnome psychiatrist helps them unlock that repressed memory to find their spell, and they have to go through therapy. Tell sessions. me about your father. <laughs> <laughs> but but I, I like the idea of of um, you being able to. Uh, here's another one: cutting off the power source, cleric. You cannot hear your god. Paladin, your oaths are broken. You are now an oath breaker. Change all of your shit. Hey, Warlock, your patron has disavowed all knowledge of you and has disowned you, and all of your Warlock levels are gone. You can still cast the spells that you were imbued with originally, but you can't get new stuff, right? Or you can no longer summon your your blade or your tome. (coughs) Well, this actually could be an idea as a little side note to use for something. If you have a player comes to you and says, hey, I'm thinking about multiclassing. Well, don't worry. I'll take away all your abilities to uh, gain levels in Warlock for the rest of the time. That's okay. We yeah. can move away from Cleric. It's totally fine. Well, that, that's you a can... very real danger with, with one of my characters right now who has dipped into Warlock and now is like starting to regret that decision a little bit. Oh, how about the Cleric that can no longer hear their god so they have to switch to becoming a Warlock? Like this, this creates amazing opportunities like that. Yeah. My point is... Fuck with the spells and fuck with. Honestly, I look at spells, but I would apply this to key points as well. And and your lay on hands, your battle mastery points, right? If you're going to attack like any resource, any any resource on the uh, sheet, the the class feature resources should definitely be. Yeah, they should be on the table as well. Yeah. So, but I mean, like with everything else we've said, be sparing and and. This is At a, least be open for ways to reverse this, because if if you're going to actively cripple player uh, characters, which is which is which what is I'm act- talking about right right now, I'm talking about actively crippling the thing that they have spent months building, yeah. right? So that's adversarial, yeah. And if you're going to spring it on them, be prepared to reverse it within the same session, right? I think that's what you're saying. Yes, Dan, that's is, what I'm saying. Is but, it, there needs to be some sort of even the next session, or have a character or or something where. They are then equipped to still be a, a effective member, or even just a member. What, of what, one, one of my favorite things was in the God of War series, where he's the God of War and then becomes depowered and has to go regain his powers. And I always want to play a D and D campaign where you are the most powerful monk of all time, and you've had your memory stripped from you and your power taken away, and you no longer have access to key. Mm-hmm. And so you have to go accomplish these twenty tasks yeah. to get your shit back, right? That's that, that's on par with this, right? Like I like this as a plot hook, even. But make sure that you're you're very clear about it up front. Make sure that everyone's on the same page, and make sure that your players are not going to flip the table and quit on you yeah. because you fucked with their shit. You got to be honest from the start. Too, you have to. You're right. You have to avoid being adversarial. So the, what you're doing, it needs to be agreed that that challenge is fun. You guys know the type of D and like to play. It fucking hurt me. I don't care. It's all part of me trying to overcome it. But Dan, like we just talked about, that's not the type of D&D that you enjoy. And so you would probably want to have that conversation definitely up front to be like, hey, I'm cool with this, but probably not too cool if you're doing this. I want to be able to enjoy my abilities. That well, even in. even still, it, it's a conversation you have with your players where you're like, hey, just trust me, there's a plan with all this as well, right? Yeah. And uh, if you're attacking spell, shot, uh, spell slots and spells and doing that and, and attacking this thing that the character's built up, you can also target things like experience and, and their level. 
I the only and that's one of the things you're bringing up when you're saying like make them oath breakers. You're changing their legit class, right? But I'm only doing it for a small period of time. For a small period of time, their their god comes back and says, "You've earned your." It's the end of Thor one. Yeah. Okay, you know what? Here you go. Yeah. Right. You get your powers back, and now they're no longer oathbreaker, and they got to dabble with that for three or four sessions. Right. Um, I would say that there is also uh, a lot of tables I find nowadays aren't so much doing experience points. No, anymore. I, I don't, a lot of people no. do milestone. Now. I don't. I do yeah, milestones. Right? Experience so, points kid is too much to uh, to combat. So ex- uh, targeting experience points itself, if your milestone table means literally dill nothing. Yeah, it's it's means dick all. So what you do is then you attack levels. Um, I don't see a reason why there can't be some sort of play going down, making everyone a little bit slower to react or whatnot, and that. Mechanically translating as everyone's lost a level until you figure out what's going on. Oh my god! I want to. I want to hit the the party with the curse where they're de aging. You have to get to the end before you become a baby. The humans aren't far more dangerous than the, the elves. Old Benjamin Buttons. Yeah, I think that's really that, fun. That, that would be a lot of fun to run at a table, and like especially because every adventure but, is but, nineteen years old. Yeah, but, but then hold on, when hold they on, hold cure on. it. They get all their stuff. Yeah, but the other thing, too, that I'm doing is I'm handing out a, a, a sheet, a handout to people saying, at this age, you'll be this. At this age, here are the mechanical things that are happening. Here's what level you have to be, or here's what your strength is going to be. You no longer have a, a 20 into strength when you're an 11-year-old boy. Nope. Um, right? The, like, the bard can no longer do vicious mockery seen... when their voice is breaking. <laughs> all right, what's the next thing? This is me. Next thing is Terry. Talking about curses. Um... I thought you were next, Dan. That was me. Experience and levels. No, Adam just went. Yeah, surely. And I just tacked on at the end. Oh, you did? Oh, all right. Because we'd already talked about it. Oh, it's seamless. Uh, so, Terry, se- a seamless segue. Yeah. Seamless segue. <laughs> That's how curses. Never again. Curses. Curses. Curses upon the seamless segue. <laughs> <laughs> all right, Terry. Okay. Uh, I, well, I already kind of touched on curses a little bit earlier. I I don't mind curses. Adam, I know you have... Well, you don't have an issue with curses. You have an issue with remove curse being too accessible. Yeah. So I don't like to remove spells from the game because uh, I... I You do it very well, Adam, but I don't want to run the risk of being adversarial because I don't know how I would handle that. You handle it well. But... So instead of removing remove curse, I think the curse is to just have a bigger impact. Uh, you should have multiple targets. Um, and then, yeah, you have remove curse, but you can only do it so many times and you have an entire cursed village. What are you going to do here? You, your entire party has now become werewolves. They probably fucking love that, but you know. Um, so curses, <laughs> yes. Druid's I like, love- oh, but I made a fucking class for this. Come on. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> you, uh, you fighter are now a werewolf in plate mail. Go, go forth. Um, so this one could be pretty short. My point is for curses, I just think we need to do it on a bigger, a bigger level. It needs to be more grander, more of a threat if remove curses is an option. The, the only thing that I would say about curses, and I've bitched in the past, I'm on record as saying that I do not like the, the way that curses are done in 5th edition. Especially because I think hags need to do it way more fucking often. Is there material components for remove curse? I forget. Yeah, yeah, there is. But here's here's the thing. Bat shit or something. <laughs> Here, here's the thing. I would have levels of curses the same way that I would have levels of poison. Agreed. Right? The same way that I would have uh, levels of exhaustion. Right? It's the same thing. If you can have... You get access to remove curse at third level, and that should be able to do to remove curse uh, a first, second, or third level curse. Yeah. If yeah. you cast bestow curse at ninth level, 
a third level remove curse should not be able to die. I 100% out. agree with that. And I think that's more than fair in a session zero to be, hey, guys, here's a fucking handout so you don't forget uh, yep. that we talked about this and initial on, here. And honestly, lycanthropy, not a curse. Vampirism, not a curse. Um, uh, risen from the dead, like zombification, not a curse. These are not things that you can just hand wave curse, like remove curse and it's fine. Right, there are some things. If you get teleported to to the nine hells, that's not a curse, right? You got teleported. And be really upfront with the fact that you have to use the word curse when you curse someone. Yeah. Right. So anyway, uh, that's my that's my right. Absolutely no material component for remove curse. What really? Yep, just verbal and somatic. That that seems so wrong to me. I think you well, know what and, I mean? and you cannot cast re- remove curse on a cursed item and remove the curse on the item. That makes if it's, if it's a weapon. Um. What it will do is it breaks the uh, user's atu- uh, attunement, attunement to it. To yeah, it. yeah, yeah. So I like. There's got to be different levels to this as well. I, think, I agree with levels on curses. I think that's an excellent idea. I yeah. The other thing. Okay, so very very quick sidebar. Why do we not have summoning magic? I know we have like like conjure fey and shit, but we should be able to summon that person from the next town over. It's just something that's missing in D&D, right? The, yeah. the, the ability to I summon. And I feel like there needs to be levels to summon as well. And there have been in previous editions, there, and but it was always summon monsters. There is and, some summoning magic, but it's not specific people. It's like you summon, like, well, I don't know, you summon a person from, it's like a random person appears, but they're like from somewhere in the world. I forget what the fucking spell is, but it's like you can summon somebody, but it's like a random person or something. Summon servant slate? I don't fucking know. Uh, all right. Hold on, are we taking bets on whether or not another, or Alexander, another Skip Davis, or Rackham will get to this first? Who's getting to it first? Yeah, who's going to get... Yeah, one, one of the two of them will. So, anyway, <laughs> I think that's it for the stats, for the mechanics. <clears throat> yeah, that's it for the mechanics. Uh, next, Is that I the want, end of topic one? That's the end of topic one. Um, the next one we're going to talk just really, really quickly on attacking the personality of your character. And that is that little block <laughs> at the top. So first we'll hear a commercial, and then we'll get to it. Attacking the personality? You're kind of a prick! <laughs> character assassination. <laughs> Fuck you, Dad! <laughs> <laughs> Are those skinny jeans, or did you put on Gnome's pants, you fuck? <laughs> oh. <laughs> Are you interested in advertising or becoming a sponsor on our show? Email us at info at itsamimic.com. Welcome back. Uh, so now we're going to be talking about attacking the personality of your character sheet. This is that nice little block right at the top. That includes your size, your your religion, your backgrounds, your traits, your uh, backstories, your alignments, all these other things. So gentlemen, grab your dice. Let's continue this conversation. Oh, that was, yep. Okay. Go to the dice box. Oh, thank you for knocking mine. 15 for me. I got a 10. You're still last. I got a 16, so I'll be going first. Uh, this might be the first time in recorded history where all three of us got double digits. I know. It's, ha- it's got to have happened before. I don't, I don't know. know. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know Terry's at the table. You're <laughs> fucking right, man. Um, so I'm surprised I haven't died during this podcast. <laughs> in, in one of the most, uh, in my opinion, least used mechanics of the game, the additional trait you get from a background, I think, is um, something you can also attack and target. If you are a knight in the knight's background with the alternative of the noble, you get three retainers. Kill those 
Barking retainers or kidnap them and move them or, or they are three mandatory NPCs that your knight character has. If you are a pirate, guess what? The underworld knows who you are and you're good at smuggling, but dock officials and police, the police in those uh, riverside towns also know who you are. The, the criminal underworld. I'm, I'm like the Shadowfell. What are you talking about? I'm up to speed now. Yeah. 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 Um, these are things that you could target with the background. Um, if the character plays a hermit, surround him with people. There's got to be a little bit of, um, what's the phobia, Adam? Agoraphobia? No, agoraphobia? Ag- agoraphobia is just fear of wide open spaces. Mm, it's also agoraphobia, but that's fine. Carry on. Xenophobia? Xenophobia is not liking people from other countries, not, not necessarily liking race. things that are different than what you're used to. English people not liking Scottish people is xenophobia. Yeah, the problem with the Scottish. I love the Scottish. What? Anyways, I promise you, they don't like you because you're different to them. <laughs> so um, these are all the things I would want to attack next. Um, this is, of course, uh, I'd say there's a little bit less of any anthropophobia. Anthropophobia. That word. Anthropophobia. Uh, also, anthropophobia, depending on whether or not you're in the, the states. What are you telling me? And I cannot believe that I'm hearing this. Really, you can't believe this. I can't believe that I'm hearing this. That they took a perfectly good. I, my voice cracked. To us. <laughs> no, you can't. Cast. Took a perfectly good word. Yeah. Do you know what? Two bad things about this. You I just mentioned that. Yeah, yeah. You can't cast your I vicious just, mockery. I just mentioned that. No, I can't cast my vicious mockery. <laughs> All right, then continue. Uh, so. You know what I was gonna say. <laughs> Is it aluminum or aluminium? Anyways, fucking uh, fuck yes. don't. Because every other fucking um, like metal, an element, and I know it's not an element. All of those things is an eum, eum, and they just went. We're just going to take the eye of that called aluminum. What is it? Is are the rest of them now just is um? it potassium? Yeah, is it potassium? <laughs> fuck you! And stop taking use out of things. What? But you kept it in the word famous. Fuck. I'm sorry. I love our audience. <laughs> I went off on one there a little bit. <laughs> So I'm saying you could uh, take this. Also, when your characters are rolling up their uh, backgrounds, they take the time and effort to uh, roll up their ideals and all these other things. You could target those as well, but we'll get to that in just a minute. Um, I would definitely target these background traits that they have. Um, and there are many, many, many background tra- uh, backgrounds now that you could choose from. So find out what they are. There's no reason why you as the DM can't pull on that and there are less uh, bars held on this uh, kind of attack towards their backstory I would say this is a really good way to uh, draw your player into some engaging role play and engaging um, uh, discourse with other players at the table or even if the campaign's in a bit of a lull and you've got that criminal character or you got that charlatan character who's been you know passing a lie off for years have the truth come to light finally Right. Um, there's there's no reason to not pull on this. And I, I see it missed in a lot of tables. But we're not talking backstory. Not right now. We're talking background. Right. The actual background that you find in the player's handbook. Yeah. Or in uh, Xanathar's well, Sword Coast has some like they're around. Right. The, the the backgrounds are around. Right. And so just I'm, I'm looking for clarification. Dan, you're talking specifically about the yeah. the, the criminal, the the knight, like you said. Before, yeah. Right? Yeah. Those. So those ones. How do you, without digging at the personal backstory that they wrote, or without digging at like the fact that oh you got sleight of hand because you're an urchin, right? Why? You, I really like. I want you to elaborate because I'm 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 struggling with this. 
how do you attack um like the the charlatan's background the back the charlatan background um I, I would say you don't attack it directly. You just use it as the reasons for the attacks. So we're we're talking more about social and role playing than than a direct attack on 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 like a, a physical mechanical attack on them. Yeah, like your charlatan is being found out as a con man. Your knight um's retainers get taken. Your nobleman loses his status in, in court. Any of these things are an attack to their background, but not necessarily. Uh, a direct assault to the character themselves. I, th- I still think you can piss off quite a lot of players with this if you don't handle this well. Yes, I mean, well, yes. but I think it's it's worth saying that you should really you should know who your players are because a lot of people like will latch on to the fact that they're a noble, even if they're a bard. They're a noble first, and you can hear it in the way that they role play. And if you take away their nobility, that may really crush them and have their that may make them less eager to play the game, right? That's not the character they signed up for. So I would say that, you know, like we've said for this entire episode, use caution, do it sparingly, and be honest that you can you can recover this. You need to restore your reputation. Mm-hmm. You need to get your titles back. You need to, like, whatever it is. You, you have had this thing removed from you. And there's no mechanical um, neg- negative to this, right? Like, no, I wouldn't, I wouldn't give them any. It's you, as simple as removing a scroll <coughs> of pedigree. And then if you're in a foreign land, I don't recognize you. Who are you? You could say, I'm Prince whatever, whatever. Okay, we'll prove it. And it's as simple as removing that. Now you fucked with their background. And it is annoying. I've played a noble character before, and it was fucking annoying when people were not taking that nobility seriously. <laughs> so right. I can definitely attest to that. So yeah. I actually really like that because I think it's one of the things that nobody touches, right? People will dig into the backstory, which I mean we'll talk about in a minute here, but but the background itself that's written in it, if that's not about oh my long lost sister that disappeared one day and the DM you know prances that sister. No, I'm I'm talking specifically your your knights, your comp, like your guild uh, merchant or whatever uh, that one is the the yeah, yeah, no, guild I'm, crafter. Yeah, I, right? I I really like that. I think that there's not enough of that. If you're gonna be what the, the cloistered scholar. Right, burn down the university that you are from, mm-hmm. or have you don't even have to attack it necessarily, but you can grab plot hooks from it yeah. and drag people back. Yeah. Hey, uh, the the Grand Maester. I'm going Grand Game of Thrones on this, but the Grand Maester just died. We're calling all the Maesters in to solve this, yeah. and and then you bring the party with you, right? Or even right. like your sage or your researchers research is proven to be completely false, right? And yeah. now you've undermined not undermined, but you've you've given their character a lot of things to think about. Now this isn't going to hit their hit points. This isn't going to kill them outright. It might ruin them. Politically, it might ruin their reputation, and now that is what you're attacking. I really like that. I think that's a lot of fun as a plot hook, and it's a different way of creating stakes in D&D. Exactly. Yeah. Um, Terry, you're next. Yeah. Um, I was going to touch on... Well, I was going to touch on background as well, (laughs) Um, but I want to touch it in a slightly different way, which is um, to take what a a character loves and what they hate and use that as leverage. I've touched on it a little bit previous episodes, but it doesn't matter who the person is. If you want to really leverage them to do anything in particular, target those two things. The whole Green Goblin idea of attack their heart. Are you talking backstory? uh, Backstory, sorry. I want to touch on backstory. And, 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 And whatever it is that they love, sometimes it's their daughter, sometimes it's whatever, sometimes it's whatever. But if you start to manipulate that, 
what happens is that character is compelled to deal with whatever that situation is and can become emotionally compromised, can do things that affect their alignment, can do whatever to fix this issue. And of course, the rest of the party doesn't necessarily have a connection with that, but it pulls them in a certain direction. It can create challenge and discourse within the party, and especially if you're doing that with multiple people. If you're pulling one party member over here, but one party member over here, you're putting time, the sand counters are on both of them, that's going to cause some stress. Well, let, let me ask you, just to go along with you on this, Terry. Yeah. Um, Captain Titus Hawkridge. Yeah. What was the most upsetting moment of playing him? Uh, when Kogu died. Dan, Lockie, Jiminy Fidgens Boyle. What was the most upsetting moment of playing him? I mean, he had a rough morning that, after that one bender. <laughs> no, rescuing his daughter. Right. And, and then and, getting gutted by a vampire lord. Right. It, so it was the backstory pieces. Yes. I mean, you met Kogu in game as, as an NPC, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, but by the time that that had, like, we're talking months and months and months later, she was now a part of your backstory. Oh, right? I I love that half orc woman. Yeah. <laughs> you, like she's like a point, CrossFit chick. This I is believe. The, the, yeah, yeah. She's <laughs> a sexy CrossFit chick to the point where this is the nerdiest thing I'll ever say. I genuinely wish that she was real. Like, I loved her. She was incredible. Anyway, she's not real, but... <laughs> <laughs> um, but, anyways, I just... I think that you're absolutely right. Attacking the backstory, finding what they love or what they hate, and really manipulating that... Yeah. ...is going to be more powerful. And are you aiming for the character, or are you aiming for the player on this? Oh, this is a little bit of both, right? Because there's the whole, there's the whole idea of, well, this is what my character, this is what my character do. Yes, but... You're, that character is still a vehicle that's being driven by the player. And we typically will lean towards the player's desires overall. Which is why sometimes we need to remind players of their alignment or their backstory or whatever to make them think on the right track. But characters, as we know, are also an extension of ourselves. Or it's also, it's a fantasy. It's what we want to be. So I think really you're attacking the player. Cool. All right. Well, my my answer. Do you agree or disagree? No, no, no. I absolutely I agree that yeah. that any attack upon a character is attacking the player. Yeah. Right. But um, uh, when you're attacking backstory, you're attacking you're attacking the, an emotional connection. The, yeah. The player created this no holds barred out of their own imagination and their own passions. This is what the character they wanted to play, and they wrote all this shit. And there's no mechanics involved. They just wanted to make to play this character. Yeah. And then it pops up in game, and you're like, Nah, fuck that guy. <laughs> what? <Yeah. laughs> right? They have that at the moment. But no, <laughs> like I spent hours on this. Think about all the people that have done like like a character art, right? And you're like, now add a scar, yeah, because <laughs> I just <laughs> fucked you up, yeah, yeah. <laughs> right? Like you're it, that would be that would be horrifying for an artist to have someone else come over and start drawing on their picture. That's the same thing you're doing when you're attacking backstory, right? Yes. Yeah. So, um, what do you got for us, Adam? I'm gonna, I want to talk about memory because we're talking about backstory. And I'm going to make this really, really quick because I mentioned modify memory beforehand. Telling people that, hey, you don't remember that is weird and confusing and it messes up players. Hmm. But how many people, Dan, how many times you've been playing this game for eons? How many people have started with, I don't remember parts of my past? That's not something everyone has a problem with? Yeah, like every character has some part. Me, Dan, has troubles with this. Right? <laughs> it pops up all of the time where your character... I, I have yet to run a campaign where there's a character who is like, oh, I've got gaps in my memory and I don't know who my who the 
killer was on the day that her... I woke up on the beach in a tuxedo with no, <laughs> with no shoes on. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, they all have that moment of, like, the first episode of Lost, where everyone's just, like, running around crazy. And I started watching that again recently. Sorry, Adam, go on. <laughs> you know what? I will defend the ending of that, and we should do a Lost episode sometime. Yeah. Anyways. We should. Anyway, uh, I like the idea of attacking the memory, and anybody that sits there says, well, that's not fair. I lost everything that happened before this. Right, but you came to the table. Half the people playing this game come to the table saying, I don't know where I'm from. It makes perfect sense that at for- session 14, you suddenly are like, I don't know where I'm from. It's the same fucking thing. You're just experiencing it instead of being lazy with your backstory. Yeah. Right? So I have no problem taking away people's memories or, more specifically, modifying them. One of the things that I did, and none of you guys found out, was I gave everybody in midweek content where I can communicate with you all separately. I gave each of you the same scenario with slightly different details. Because all of your characters remembered it differently. Ah. We then immediately got distracted with a bunch of other shit. But I was really, really excited to see how Dan goes, Oh, no, I, it's, it's the pink thing over here. And Terry's like, No, 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 you mean the, you mean the yellow thing. And Dan's like, no, 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 I mean the pink thing. And they watch that as everybody goes to their notes and they're flipping through going, I wrote down yellow. Why, what, what did I do? What, hold on. What's yellow? Why did I write down yellow? Well, I would, knowing me, just think that I wrote down the wrong color and would start agreeing with Dan. <laughs> but, but, Dan yes, it was pink. But when it happens over and over and over again, and this is where the night hag came into play yeah. and started to mess with you. This is where you were affected by uh, someone slipped you beholder's blood into yeah. your drink and it's fucking with your mind well what you did with my character as well is you added memory so I had, I had like three different timelines going on in my oh, head the so fucking good. worst person to do that to as well because <laughs> I get so confused as it is I'm going I don't have a fucking clue what's happening yeah um, and we're like playing the game Adam's going you remember this but also not but also remember this <laughs> Jesus fuck so I do want to add a little bit of an encouragement here to players um, don't do that <laughs> I have sat up many a table where players have been like, listen, I don't either don't have the time or I don't have the creativity to create a backstory or a background uh, or memories for my character uh, strong enough for a, a dungeon master to use. Like, I just don't have that capacity. Wizards of the Coast heard a lot of these kind of complaints coming in and have brought in a way to randomly roll it up in Xanathar's. Um, it is... Absolutely fantastic. And Is it I, good? I oh, okay. I, hold, hold on. I, I'm going to pause you because Dan's about to ramble for 20 minutes about how great it was. No, I'm, I'm not going to go into the character create that I created for Adam. Because he talked for 25 minutes about it. And it was all randomly rolled. Yeah. And it was... And each thing just fit the next thing so bizarrely and then also perfectly. Yeah. But also not perfectly. And, and, also, and like, like, it was so good. And I was reticent to start it because I'm typically the kind of person that's like, you want me to create a story for this person? Okay, one second, I'll give you 10 pages tomorrow. That's typically the kind of person I am. But to randomly roll it, even as an experienced, like, backstory creator, it was really freeing. It was a bit awkward to start off, but it was really freeing as you're going. And I would encourage every single player, every single Dungeon Master who is listening to this, go and actually roll up a backstory with this. And do it legit. Follow it point by point. It tells you how many siblings you have, what kind of people they are, all of this other nonsense. Does it work well? It Cause works. Because the, the last time I did something like this was at uh, Stormcrow Alehouse in Vancouver. Shout out to Stormcrow Alehouse, where you can roll for your own burger. And I ended up with 
a mushroom bun with a mushroom patty with little mushrooms added on top of it. And it was a fucking disaster. Hold on, hold on, hold on. Were you on shrooms? <laughs> I was not. <laughs> he I was, was after dinner. I was there. <laughs> it is Vancouver after But well, the point is, these things can go horribly wrong. They, it's, and, and it can. But if you're entering into this process, you're making the kind of commitment. You're making the agreement to yourself at that point that you will honor what the dice are rolling and you will try to fit those things into your story. If something's completely out of left field and doesn't fit in. Eh, ignore it. Whatever. Ignore it or, I, or roll a different thing. But I will honor every single not that part of this. <laughs> <laughs> but okay. But my point is though that still you're invested in your backstory. Yeah. And so then to have a DM come along later and I don't play with your memory in the first third of the campaign. I let that be who you are. You sink into that. You're mm-hmm. now in, that is your character and you're digging it and you're excited about it. You're exactly. wondering, will these mysteries from my past come up and all this, and all of a sudden all that shit's wiped clean. Well, what does that mean? Right. Mm-hmm. And that's something that I would use really once a campaign to one character and it was the appropriate player. I fucked with Terry and it was fantastic because everybody else would have been like, hold on, I'm pulling up my notebook and we're going to keep track of this. And Terry's like, just hit me. Hit me, bro. Let's do it. I right? remember. <laughs> I remember everything. Yeah. <laughs> and and it was a lot of fun, um, but it was very different. It was like, it, honestly, it was like that scene in The Hangover where the, all of the equations and stuff were coming down. That's yeah. what I was seeing. I was like, I'm not going to remember any of this. It was like the Julia Roberts meme with all the equations yeah, and shit. Yeah, that's what it was like. Confused. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Uh, uh, the uh, next thing I want uh, to bring up is we're, we're talking more about uh, specifically backgrounds, but the traits, the ideals, the bonds the flaws that you have rolled up randomly, I would definitely target those as well in your background. I would lump uh, Paladin's tenets into this as well. Yep. Um, even even like uh, they're not as uh, strictly defined as a uh, Paladin's tenets, but like a monk's monastic traditions. Yeah. I would lump the, the those. The barbarian in, right? tribe. Yeah. Shit, right? Yeah. Like tribal rules or like the druidic circle rules or whatever they are. Bring these things in, get your player, sit down with your player to help define them, and then mess with them and attack them. In, in the same way we've been talking about of using those threads that they're left laid out bare before you and pulling on them to see what happens, right? Um, I can't tell you the amount of times that I've rolled like a, uh, uh, trait that's, oh, I'm, I love to be with people, everything else, but my character's still an edgelord off in the corner. As a DM, if your player is rolling this kind of trait and then they're not playing it, you need to have a serious discussion with them outside as well. Is be like, hey, is is it just because you didn't want to play that trait? Do you want to re-roll it? Is there something else? Um, but if it's that character's going through a darker season in their life and there's like legitimate role-playing reasons for this. That's happening in our campaign right now. It is, yeah. Um I I I I don't see why you wouldn't do this. Especially, I think my biggest one to target. Everyone's going to say bonds. That one's too easy. I, I'm not a big fan of attacking the bonds. Attack their ideals. Attack what makes them tick. Thank you. Excuse me. Because being tight. Yeah. <laughs> um, most of these ideals are like, I like to rescue people. What happens when that you have rescued everybody and no one is... Um, like, people are blaming you for rescuing them. W- one of my favorite things that I ever did to you... Is I attacked your flaws. 
Yeah. And, I, and I took away Lockie's chemical dependencies. Yeah. And it fuck you. You didn't know what to do with that. You turned to me and said, I don't know how to play this character if he's not an addict, Adam. What the fuck am I doing <laughs> if next? Yeah. If he's just normal. Yeah. He's well, yeah. Adam, so, Adam, Adam just turned to me and like, you guys are now in the Feywild. You no longer are addicted to all of the substances Lockie was addicted to. Well, but like, I remember the first thing I tried to do was drink. Yeah, and you didn't like it. it I didn't like it. It was just like, yeah, okay, it's it's uh, like I lost the taste for beer. I'm like, what is this? I and, and it, it threw me for a loop. Um, I would love to see more DMs do that at a table. Like you have that flaw, reversing it to be a positive. Yeah, right. Why not? Your 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 uh, anthropophobic uh, person is now suddenly. It reinvigorated by large crowds. Yeah, well, look, if you have a gambling addiction, but every time you go to gamble, you win, you don't realize that the closet in the corner that's invisible is fucking with your luck. Yeah. And they're doing all this for you. And you are slowly being like, yeah, yeah, I'm good. And they're just setting you up to, for a warlock patron around the corner. Why yeah. are there not more halfling gambling addicts? Oh, <laughs> with their luck. With their luck? Yeah, um, because if you can't lose, it's not fun. That's just going to the bank. Mm. There has to be the threat of loss for the sense of overcoming that loss I to get right. the payoff. Yeah, okay. Uh, there was a Twilight Zone episode about that. So who's uh, who's next? Terry, Terry, next is Terry. Oh, I'm going to talk about a big one. You ready? What alignment? Like in my car? At like tire alignment? No, not at all. Okay. Terrible jokes. I don't even know where to go from that. No. (laughs) Alignment. I believe that you can change alignment. Like the pictures on a wall? Dan? But I don't believe that it should be done like your alignment is now changed. I think it should be done in that you are putting situations in front of the character and the player to where they are choosing to change their alignment. Adam, you did this with me. Dilemmas, man. It's all about Camp dilemmas. Dilemma after dilemma after dilemma. How long can you stay lawful good when someone is threatening your child, they are killing your wife in front of you, they are forcing you to not be able to save the orphans, they are killing your child NPC goblin friend, and, and what, you stay lawful good? There is... I don't believe a person on this earth is not going to do something bad to those people when that happens. And so what you're saying is that that player, that character is acknowledging that change in alignment. And that was happening with me. I was saying, I'm changing here. I am going to neutral. I may even go to evil on this because that's the way that we went with that. So I think alignment can be done over time. It can be done with things like addiction. So you're, you know, you can have a lawful good person for some reason becomes addicted to something. They get to the point where their body will not function. They are in agony. Until they get that substance, and the only way to get that substance is they must steal from people, steal from family, maybe even kill somebody to yeah. get it. So, yeah, how long is a paladin going to be righteous while he starves on the street? Mm-hmm. Right? Exactly. <coughs> what about when they're motivated by revenge? Um, what about when they're, they're pushed into those dilemmas where they have to make bad choices? You know, and, and I think as long as it becomes a two-way street... As long as you are letting the player realize that they are, they get to choose which way they go, but their alignment can be affected. I think changing alignment is uh, is correct, and I think it's even natural to a lesser degree in the world. Adam, you said something to me once. You said that if you look around you, most people in the world are lawful good. It's just some of them are assholes, and you're right. But most of us typically we don't, you know, we don't jaywalk, we don't steal from each other, we don't we don't kill each other. And, and we're lawful good. Some of us are just dicks. That's all. Um, but I think. 
people still change over time based on their experiences and I think this should be done in the game as well going from level 1 to 20 if you're going for that long some shit's going to happen to you along the way yeah I really like the idea of, ch of checking in at every uh, level and be like hey guys uh, how's your alignment holding up yeah how do you feel about an alignment change? Because there's no penalties in 5th edition, like there were in previous editions, the paladins and some monks and shit. Because there's no penalties, why not just check in and have it be a swinging scale? We're telling a story. This is a story arc. Let's find out where we are. Yeah. And just because you swing one way, just because you start one way and swing the other. Dan, I didn't even mean to do that one. I didn't mean to do that one. Doesn't mean you can't swing back. You're having fun with your friends. It's the weekend. People are going to swing. All right. What's yours, Dan? It's the last one. Oh, I'm the last one? Yeah. Uh, this is this is really simple, guys. Charm slash dominate is what I wanted to talk about for this. And all I want... Settle down, Terry. That, uh, I was just thinking that'd be a great name for a nightclub. Charm slash dominate? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I had a character named Charm one time. Yes, you, you did. You should have Charmed, a character. Charmed, I'm sure. Yeah. And I'm very proud of that. However... I hate it. <laughs> however... When we're talking about attacking someone's personality or ability to roleplay, I love the idea of possessing them, of uh, dominate person, of charm person, of charm effects. It doesn't need to be a spell. It can be a magical area of effect. It can be a condition that gets put upon them somehow. But take away their agency or swap what team the person's on. There are two kinds of players, guys. The players that are like, wait a minute, I'm charmed. I have to attack my friends. Okay. That's how you lose a leg at the hip. Yeah, or... Or the knee. Or the knee. Megan is only one leg at the moment in our Really? Yeah. Yes. Dan took it off. But the the taking away um, the, the team aspect of it can be so powerful. Mm. To be able to take one person and say, hey, you know what? You're playing for the other side now. Mm. And that can be... That there are two kinds of people, those that love it and those that hate it. And be like, ah, I don't want to do this. I'm going to do uh, minimal damage. And I just like, why are you doing that? Yeah, you are trying to kill them. Yeah, I am being... a lightning bolt. <laughs> when I describe it to the player, I will say, you are trying to do the maximum amount of damage that you possibly can. If that means blowing a level 9 spell, you're going to do it. Right? And... I will be very clear about it so that there's no wish-washy trying to negotiate your way out of it. And sometimes it's not the case. Sometimes it's just you want to steal their money, right? At which point they're they're changing what to which team they're playing for, right? But what I just then? love I just love the mental image of like the the level seventeen wizard getting dominated, turning to his uh, party members. That's the image and then, that you love to enjoy, and 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 then going ray of frost. Yeah, right. It's and like, no, 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 my well, friend. Wish them Disintegrate. Like, right, yeah. you have many other options. You're not just going to be like, one, two, three. No. Poison spray. <laughs> yeah, and so the idea that their greatest strength becomes the party's greatest threat becomes so much more fun. And again, I would use this sparingly unless I'm straight up playing in the Feywild or, mm -hmm. or they know that they're up against some sort of snake god that charms people and hypnosis is a big factor here. But unless the campaign is directly geared towards that, I'm using this very, very sparingly because again, what you're doing is you're fucking with people's agency. And as much as, as I said, the worst thing about D&D &D is when you do this, or losing a character, or seeing your loved one die, or having your weapon broken. I think I've claimed that that is the worst thing in D&D. &D. Each times. of those, right? Yeah. But honestly, don't fuck with agency. That's DMing 101, right? Is do not take away a player's agency. And if you do, 
you have to clear it with them ahead of time. Just be like, For look, sure. Yeah. Look, it's one thing to say time stop. You guys all have to watch me do all of this. Right? Everybody gets frustrated, but it's a mechanical thing, and then that moment ends. When you turn to the barbarian and say, hey, you know what? From now on, you hate ale, and you are going to murder the halfling rogue at the first uh, opportunity, but don't let anybody know you're going to do it. Just every once in a while, I want you to roll a deception check. I'll look to you. You roll it, and you give me a, a slight nod or a slight shake of the head to see whether or not you... You succeeded, right? And you're working with the player on this. Some players will love it. Other players will hate it. But you've taken away their ability to run their own character. So I love this, but this is... this Yeah, is and you got to choose your players. Level 9 kerfuckery. Right? Yeah, this is the type of thing where... Yeah, I would have enjoyed this to us. I remember to a smaller scale, Jamie didn't mind it when it was like in combat. So I, think, I don't think long term we would have like... Uh, we did this type of thing with Jess as well. She enjoyed it. Yeah, you just got to choose your people. Right? How are you going to do it? But yeah, yeah. I I, this it. is something that I lean on semi regularly. And it's more for trying, like, but because remember, DD is supposed to be fun as the DM, you're trying to make it fun. It, which player is going to enjoy this? Who's going to enjoy doing this with me? And honestly, it's the player, uh, and from my experience, it's the player who likes to do damage. It's your damage wielding player because they're more mechanical and they're the one that wants to do damage. They're the one that wants to have the greatest effect on the game. Mm. They're the one that's going to be usually more open to the idea of messing with the other players. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, and I would never do this with a rogue. No, no. Because the moment that that charm or whatever wears off, the rest of the party will never trust that rogue again and they're going to wake up dead. So... For sure. All right. So before we move on here, I do want to do a quick little shout out to a uh, awesome little local outfit. Uh, they are a live stream, uh, a, a actual play podcast based out of here in Vancouver. They are the Dungeon Punks. These guys are uh, magnificent role players. I have thoroughly enjoyed tuning into their podcast every second week because they release every other Wednesday. Uh, they've got a musical bend to their actual play as they are a band of like a fantasy punk band um, that is moving throughout their little realm and um, they're called Rust Monster is the name of their band. It's pretty badass. Actually. I actually like yeah. that name. Yeah, yeah it, it's great. So um, uh, just to support a local D&D group uh, that are trying to make it in the podcast first, we want to shout out Dungeon Punks. I thoroughly enjoy their podcast. Where, where can we find them? At Dungeon Punks. One word. On Instagram. On Instagram. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Um, and from there, you could uh, check out their All their info's podcast, online. All their info's yeah. on their Instagram. So go at Dungeon Punks on Instagram. You'll find them there. Cool. Good. I love it. More D&D bands I like. Dan, we should make a hair metal band called Displacer Beast. That's a good one. That's pretty fucking badass. I'm not going to lie. I don't know. Pit Fiend is a great metal band. Name. Pit Fiend is a great metal band, actually. So now we're just going to go over the last little bit of that uh, character sheet that you can attack. This is going to be their mounts, their items, their uh, friends and their family. So, gentlemen, let's grab the dice. Let's, let's discuss attacking their other possessions. Characters. Eight. Adam got six plus five plus two. Adam got 14. 13. D- 13. Yeah. I got a 19. 19. Um, so. I knew it was 13. I was making a joke. So. I would – the first one I want to talk about is attacking their allies. Hmm. Um, 
These are the people on your side in town who are running the merchant shop. These are your librarians and your uh, temple leads. These are the people and resources you have inside of town that are usually a holding base while you guys are out gallivanting and adventuring. Um, I find the best way to do this is with some like ground shaking earth, like a town wide effect, not necessarily a, you know, single targeted thing. Um, however, if a, if an ally is specifically important to the group, like, uh, Bruns was in, um, the last campaign or, um, yeah. like a gnomish merchant who was just kind of our underworld guy. Cause we were all playing here. Again, criminal underworld. Yeah. Criminal I'm, underworld. I, yeah, I'm staying up to date. Yeah. I'm not confused this time. Um, you take him away. You you lose a resource for the party, and now the party has to go and find them, you figure out what happened to them, or, connection, right? or exact vengeance for the loss of that character. Yeah, like you. Does it count then when they walk in to get their ten percent off from the merchant because they're, you know, they befriended them and they always bring them. We always bring you the best stuff and so on and so forth. You, they get ten percent off. They show up and they find a knife in his back. He's face down in a pool of dry blood. Right, this is what we're talking about. Yeah, like that, yeah, one hundred percent. Yeah, I I could also do the thing where all of a sudden your ally, this person that you have built a great relationship with, um, and they're on your side, is suddenly not on your side and is working for the enemy. This is really fun to attack with something like doppelgangers. Yep, doppelgangers, uh, or even just the fact that people are turncoats sometimes, mm-hmm. or people that. Ed- Everyone's got the price. People can be bribed. Some of my favorite big bad evil guys are people that start as allies. And yeah. then just realize that the party themselves... Well, Dasher's like that. Well, we know. Yeah. I was thinking we know all about that. Yeah. Yeah. But, I mean, if you don't like doppelgangers, you can always go with the Oblex as well uh, from Mordenkainers, which is a kind of ooze, which is just this big hulking, like almost cloud of ooze, mm-hmm. which is strange to say. And then there's this little, like, thread that turns into the person... And then they've got like a physical form that's connected by a thread to this big, like pulsing ooze. So they in the would back have the, the ooze would have to be like in the store cupboard or something. Yeah, the, the, the nearby, they're in the storeroom or in the kitchen or whatever. Right? Yeah. Or I mean, you could also use rakshasas. Uh, oh, with, all sorts of shapeshifters. All yeah. sorts, all sorts of shapeshifters. I mean, changelings if you're in Eberron, right? Yeah. Like, oh, shit. And like rakshasa ha- would be a good name for a band. I think we've. De- I think, I th- we've I think that's before. a reggae band. Yeah. Rapshasa. All right. Anyways, yeah, no, no, no. That that that's glass shattering. That's not going to work. This no. is attacking the musical sheets. Okay. <laughs> um, so I would definitely. Uh, this would be my go-to. To be honest, I, I allies I find are that perfect resource for a dungeon master to pull a party in a direction. Well, the most successful thing that I've ever done to make everybody just lose their shit, in my opinion. The most success I've ever had was when you guys came back from an adventure and discovered that your 42 most beloved allies in the city were just gone. And you were running around going, wait a minute, who's missing? We lost one person because the library was burned down as a distraction. And so the, who, were the people in the library, are they safe? we got to go find them. Wait a minute, we can't find them. What about this guy over here? Look, I'm going to go talk to this guy so that he can help me find them. Well, wait a minute, he's missing too. And you guys were running around going, where is everyone? And just one at a time, they were missing. And it was so scary for everyone. And then when you got that, like, hey, guys, we stole your friends from the bad guys. I've never seen a D&D party get so, like, laser focused mm-hmm. on a mission. And to go get back 42 friends and allies. Right. And there were people that, 
not everybody cared about. Like uh, Jess had a couple of friends or, or, that she role played midweek stuff with, and Jamie had the one guy who was teaching how to drink. And but we all knew collectively that we were missing people. Yeah, and it's time to go. Right. Yeah. So, I love attacking allies. I think that's that's a lot of fun, and even just putting them in danger. But you can just take away the merchant's ability to sell. Like he's going to lose his license. Yeah, right. Yeah. That, yeah, it doesn't have to be removing them from the. Yeah, it doesn't have to be life or death, right? There are ways around it. Like, yeah. Or his wife leaves him, and he just uh, just becomes an alcoholic or something like that. He's yeah. just useless. Yeah, no. Give them a little backstory. Uh, Adam, that's me. Uh, mounts and pets. Hmm. Guys, hello. I don't like killing animals. I and you guys will see that I've pretty much avoided that in your D and D campaigns. I have not really gone after mounts or pets. Because, as a matter of fact, my Tuesday group straight up said to me, hey, we're cool. We're playing an evil campaign. We're cool with, like, kids in danger. We'll, we're, we'll murder the bucket of babies. But no dogs. I'm, I'm no uncomfortable dogs. with that. No dogs. <laughs> right. And they were very, very upfront about no dogs. Hmm. Be nice to the animals. And I'm sure, man, if that's what they wanted in Session Zero, I'm, I'm cool. We can totally go down that road. But I... Don't attack animals anyway. Even at high level, Terry, you're running around. You were running around as Solomon Duke with mm. level 16 at that point with yeah. the freaking Mastiff. And your Mastiff was never really in danger. No. Right? It felt like she was all the time, though. Yeah, but there, she was not, like, taking consistent hit point damage. No, you. I had a way to get her out of danger if I need to. Yeah, and this is one of the things that I, I would inject with mounts and pets. Attack it once and once only, and that's it. If it's no-named horses that everybody got from the stables, and they're just going along, and they wake up, and the horses have been killed by goblins, fine. But if someone's, if someone has added a name and has taken a, what do you guys do when you're short rest? I'm going to go feed my horse over here named Precious, and I'm going to spend some time. I'm going to brush her down. At that point, this is now a pet, and I don't like to attack pets. And if I'm going to, I'm only going to do it once, and it's going to be scarring and horrible, and that pet's not going to live. I'm going to go balls to the wall on it, and I'm going to pull back. Because I don't want to go... I don't want to consistently be having someone's beloved pet cat always down to one hit point over and over and over always again. Always pinned to a tree. Right. And a crossbow bolt. <laughs> you say that. But you've also killed my familiar like 15 times. That's so, different. So familiars come back. I would say that homunculi, um, little constructs, um, you're, you had a stone hawk that could come back and... and yeah. Um, could pop into being a real you hawk and then fucked come back. me a couple of times on that one though, but Adam. never destroyed, right? And so I tend no. not to go down this road. And if I'm going to, I'm going to go big. Do you right? know what's weird though? Is you're right. Like the amount of times we fucked with our NPC allies and our party members and people almost died. As soon as you fucked with that hawk, I was like mad. I was like mad, and I never get mad mad in the game. But I mean, I was stressed. Yeah. I was stressed because I really was attached to that yeah. animal. When when people decide when a character, especially a druid or a ranger, those more than any others deserve to die. No, no. <laughs> when they uh, latch onto an animal companion of any sort, here's my suggestion: put them in in peril, and then give them the opportunity to get that animal out of the way. So there's I don't allow. Uh, creatures, I don't allow living organisms into a bag of holding because th it gets a little bit weird and meta dimension and all that shit. But I do like having cages of holding 
which can hold certain sizes of animals where yeah. they just go into stasis. For you guys, you had tattoos, magical tattoos of your animals that could pop in and out and they would, like the tattoo disappears, the animal grows out of the tattoo in, in an action. Yeah. Right. Cool. The idea is to allow the players to get the benefits of their mounts and their pets and they'll still be in danger sometimes, but I, I will give a mount and I will give a pet death saves. And then I will give them every opportunity to heal that mount or pet. Because if you take it away, the goblin who kills that, that pet dog is now the arch nemesis of the party. And you will derail your campaign so hard. Yeah. Right? And so that's my big thing is I would not do this. This is the only thing uh, this episode I can say, ah, maybe not this one. Yeah. And it's weird that it's mounts and pets because traditionally speaking in D&D, they're fodder. They're fodder. They don't last long, right? So, I I, I, I get made fun of because I like having mounts and pets and, and familiars. And I'll never make fun of you for that. That's the uh, great side of D&D. Yeah, I, and I, I've always loved them. But I've definitely had DMs be like, why do you keep doing this to yourself? Because I'm going to kill them every single time. Yeah. Right? Well, they're going to get caught in a fireball and then they're dead and now you have no mount. What are you doing? And I'm like, it's, it's part of the realism, part of the game. And I... Me, personally, I enjoy having pets. So, why would I not collect more? So, yeah, yeah I'm, I'm with you. I'm okay with them getting taken away. Um, well, you've got kind of a revolving door of characters as a general rule. Like, you know that you're going to play seven or eight different characters in the span of a year. A lot of people get married to their one or two characters a year. And uh, it's a, it's that's a not so much true recently. But it's, it's like... If you straight up removed Lockie's ability to summon his raven familiar away from him, you took that away, I don't know what I would do. No, and, and that's what I mean is yeah. I will kill the shit out of, out of Zoltan over and over and over again because he can be summoned back. Yeah. Right? And that's, that's it. Uh, there's no permanent lasting effect here. No, but you know, uh, as the DM, Lockie's awakened plat, plant familiar... I was obsessing about that thing because I knew it was in a different town as me for pretty much the entire campaign. And it never came up until we finally made it back to Carmenton. And and as a matter of fact, I threatened you with visions of it, of its deceased yeah. corpse early on. And you were like, oh, fuck. Oh, I have to get back. And you never even interacted with it in session. You never once interacted with it. You were already gone off on the mission. And, it, yeah. and so... But you were so emotionally attached that there's no way I would kill that. No way I would kill it off screen. Yeah. It's insulting. Right? Mm-hmm. Exactly. And, and it, it breaks the social contract that I have knowing that you are one of my players. Yeah. So. Terry, what you got for us? Yeah. I mean, this is a risk of going last as everything's already been said. I am split with this one because I always talk about how much I love the threat of death in the game. But it is so weird how how attached we get to these animals. If you had killed Matilda, I would have been fucking traumatized. Yep. Probably equally as much as if you killed Kogu. Well, a little bit less. Kogu was a big deal. Yeah. Kogu was a... Oh, Kogu hurt. Kogu hurt. But uh, still, still does. Still does. I think I might have dreamt about her. All right, Terry. <laughs> what are we talking about? What what uh, on the character sheet do you want to attack? Yeah, sure. I know for real what we're talking about. Um, animals, it's tough. Yes, I think you should be able to kill them, and I think you should do damage to them. I don't think they should just be. Um, I don't think it should just be a freebie, a free pass that they don't die and they're never in trouble. Uh, but all I right, th- okay, hold on. Look for those of you that are listening. 
Dan and I are both like, Terry, get on to the next topic. But he is so obsessed with his own animal that this is a perfect example because he's just like still talking about his pet. I thought you wanted me to talk about what you've been talking about. No, no, no. We're about to destroy an items or weapons or something, dude. We're pointing at the... <laughs> but Why, is that what you were pointing at? Yes! <laughs> I'm like, I thought you were pointing at animals. I was going, that's why I was giving you... I was gay, for those of you at home. I was giving Adam the eyes like, yeah, I know, dick. We've been talking about it for 10 minutes. I know what I'm talking about. But all you, no. all you could think about was the pet and the animal. And that's, that is how important... The pet, that pets and animals are, which is why it's the only thing. Would you like me to talk about destroying items? Sure. <laughs> I, I don't give a fuck about destroying items. Destroy items. <laughs> no. Here's the thing. Here's the thing. Here's the thing. Okay. Here's the thing about destroying items and stuff. Players, listen to me. Listen, to your Uncle Terry. Stop being a fucking bunch of bitches. Okay. You're gonna get items. Fuck Terry. <laughs> no, I'm saying it. You're gonna get items. They're gonna get damaged. Okay. There has to be a threat in this game. You can't run around going, eh, "Don't hurt me! I'm a maxi boy. Don't take my fucking items away." Okay, hey, I'm going to take your magical sword away sometimes because you fucking deserve it and you're going to go on a side quest to get it back. I don't care. I'm going to hurt your armor, okay? This is the social contract that we'll put out. If everybody agrees <coughs> to it, I'm going to do it because you can't... Dan, I'm sorry. D&D is not fucking participation trophies. It's not let's spend six months but nobody ever really dies or any of your shit gets hurt, okay? Life is about challenge and overcoming it and that is part of the game, okay? Dan? <laughs> <laughs> Alright, hold on, hold on, hold on. So when, when you're talking about taking away items, you're talking about the big items, the things that you essentially get a plus two kind of thing. You're talking about weapons and armor. Yeah. What about other items? What about things like taking away all of their healing potions because they fell backwards onto their backpack? Is that something that you would do? Um, I would do... Th- I love crit tables because I think it's an excuse to massively reward or massively punish the players. This would be something I would do as a crit table. Okay. Uh, yeah, I'm on board with critical that. Critical failure. You fall back. Something in your backpack is damaged. You get to roll for it. Roll down. Roll your D12 or whatever. Depends on how many items you have. Bop, 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 bop. Boom. Yep. You smash your health potion. That's it. And that's it. Because that's part of the game. Because it's a fantasy game. But there needs to be risk in this game. Otherwise, Dan, what are we doing? What are we doing? Having fun around a table with your How friends. Have fun. There's no challenge to it. Play fucking Monopoly. <laughs> Monopoly. Play Monopoly where everybody wins. I'm, I'm not saying... I'm not Nobody saying wins Monopoly. I, I'm not saying that shouldn't be a threat to uh, your character seats or, or, or stuff like that. I'm, I'm What I'm saying is the way I run games, I like my players to win. So if I am going to attack those things, which I am going to attack, I like having a, a prepared out. That is what I was saying. But then, so, so, what, hold on, hold on. But then why am I trying no, no, so no, hard? No, 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 because here's Dan saying that he prepares the out. It's still up to the player to take that opportunity and to go after that solution. And if they don't do it, well, then they're fucked because they didn't get the thing. But there is a way to fix there's it. There's always, yeah, there's yeah. always and, a way and out. And that's what I'm saying. So, like, um, I'm not saying it's participation, uh, participation post that. Uh, See, you're yeah. just, you're flustered as I am because I just defended you, and I don't know what the fuck is happening. So, but like, I, <laughs> you're not wrong. If this is backwards world, why everyone got goatees except Terry? Dad. No, wait, we're in the real world. <laughs> hey, now I know why you did that. It's because I called the audience a bunch, and I'll, I quote a bunch of fucking bitches. Now, yeah, yeah, that's that's really now you really may awesome think there, that that was not T-Dog. a good marketing move. No, nope, not. But the best. I'm sure they're tough people that aren't easily offended. So and have then, you seen the internet? And then there's also Jeff. <laughs> Jeff, Jeff's my boy. So so me, Jeff, Matt the Weasterling. <laughs> <laughs> a little more, man. A little more rack of 
Um, I would also, in a lesser extent, like you, you, you're like, okay, we're talking like our big magic, like our wondrous items that our characters have got. We're gonna attack those, sure. But, but we're gonna go step down. We're gonna attack our potions, sure. Not, nah, dude. Take their crowbar away from them. Go even further down. Burn their rope. All of a sudden, destroy yes. their bedrolls and see what a party of adventurers does in the middle of the woods without a bedroll. And, and you see, okay, here's the other thing that I'm thinking, though. Take their tools. Yeah. That's going to fuck up a rogue. There are so many, all of their kits. Uh, if you have a disguise kit, blow that up. Your smithy kit, get rid of that. Like, there are so many different little things you could take. Shatter an alchemist fire in their bag, and now they've lost all of the contents of the bag. And that's fair, right? Provided, But it needs to be few and far between, and it needs to be a critical situation. All of this is with a grain of salt, right? Like, yeah. if, if things are if, if, if things are getting look, slow and... If then, someone's carrying Alchemist Fire in their backpack, I would say to them... Look, I ran around with fucking dynamite in the Call of Cthulhu. I am hyper aware of what carrying exactly, volatile shit exactly. in your bag we found in a museum. <laughs> don't worry about it. So don't, <laughs> so don't, no, 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 no. Bernice carried those ones. And we all saw what happened to him. I was like, Dad, just to clarify, this dynamite is just sitting in a case. Yeah, in a glass case in the museum. Under lock and key, and you guys broke it open with an old pickaxe. Yep. And we'll do it again. No, you won't. You blew up the fucking town. If you haven't, download and listen to Deep Dark of Radiance, GM by Dan. <laughs> um, yes, I, I like the idea of, of taking away these items. It depends on your, your nitty-grittiness of your campaign. If you're tracking encumbrance, then I'm more likely to, to attack items. Yeah. But if we're playing high fantasy, don't worry about... Uh, you always get all your hit dice back on a short rest and you were superheroes and re-roll ones and twos on your health and whatnot. I'm not really going after your shovel. This, yeah. Yeah, and if you are attacking the smaller little things of things, it also puts a lot more in your DM to know that you have them, which means your your players are going to have to be far more transparent with the character sheet because the, the amount of times I've gone, okay, well, here's this locked chest, and they go, I pull up my crowbar, and the player across the table goes, yeah, I've got one. I'll just buy it. Yeah, sure. Okay, you got one. Cool. I won't ask to double check, right? As a DM, you gotta. Uh, if you want to take this tactic, you gotta be aware of what they're doing. And I would encourage. You mentioned encumbrance. Do it. Like if if you are willing to go this deep into uh, like using the character sheet to, you know, attack your uh, players, you gotta look at encumbrance. And one of the things that I, like look at what the impact of losing these items are because if I take away your water skins. And you're in Avernus. And you're walking across the wasteland. Mm -hmm. Now we're in um, exhaustion. Mm -hmm. Right? And one one item is now affecting people's ability to attack. And it was a very simple mundane item that nobody thought about on a character sheet. Exactly. Right? And so this can be used really effectively, but it can also throw a huge curveball. Okay. So Um, next on the list, I want to talk about attacking your uh, party's family. Nothing binds you closer than blood. Um, and I personally have experienced this go well and go poorly. We've mentioned many times that I've had this character whose entire character arc was go rescue his daughter. His daughter was missing and his entire goal was to go find. When we finally came down to the finding of this character and, uh, this character's daughter and rescuing her from the sunken city that she was in, um, I got within 10 feet of freedom with her. And a vampire lord popped out of uh, invisibility and gutted her. Nice. And and 
and her unborn child in front of me. And <laughs> the stress of the encounter itself made this entire moment incredibly rewarding at the end of the day. But it, it, it took me a long time to process this. This is the, like... You were upset for a few weeks. I was there. upset for a few weeks. Yeah, to the point where I'm like, Lockie has goggles that let him see invisibility to anything within 15 feet of him. Why is... what? How did he miss them? Yeah. And I was like, well, you didn't mention they were on. I'm like, but I didn't mention they were off. And they don't impair, like, they're just... It's not my job right. to know what you have a clue. Yeah, right? But it, it's it's one of those things. And it it threw me for a loop. So this is, this is one of those things where um, players, if something like this happens where you are uh, hit with that dramatic death or that dramatic attack or whatever it is... Give yourself a five count, look at your character sheet, and try your hardest to remember what you have going for you to try to fix or deal with this, right? Attacking a family member is going to instantly draw up very uh, deeply ingrained emotions in most of the people around your table. Um, Your wife, Terry, in... Mm. Uh, as Kogu died in front of you, and that was your biggest moment. My daughter, as Mershi, got gutted in front of my character, and that was his biggest moment. These are our family dying in front of us, yeah. and and um, it is a great way to bring drama into the game. It's a great way to bring um, real emotion in. Like I know I went home and wept after that happened. Um. Again, with everything else we've mentioned, you got to do it sparingly. You got to do it well. I have but only ever killed a family member before a two-month break. That's a mistake. No, it isn't. I uh, the, a, like, a two-month break. I, I don't know because uh, it lost its impact when we came back. That just personally speaking, that's it lost its impact coming back. Where it was just like, okay, I've I've had the two months to deal with this. Yep, and then. We came back from the two months in moments after that happened. And I had to get in that frame of mind again. And I could not force myself into it. Right? If if there is a two-month break in game as well as when that happened. Which was supposed to show. Which was supposed to. Which was. Uh, yeah, I get was supposed to happen. Then, yeah, I understand. But, like, if you're coming back the next session after, like, slaying the, you know, your, your player's in-game wife or something like that. You gotta handle that really well. No, man. No, absolutely. Okay, I hard disagree with you on this. It, uh, when uh, when I want to kill somebody, when I want to kill a family member, I don't do it as a you know monster of the week nonsense. Where oh, the werewolf went and killed your sister. Right? No, no, it's no, a big dramatic moment. It is a big dramatic moment, and there are sure enough, the farm says in danger and whatnot, or your orphanage that you're from is in danger. That happens all the time in in D and D. But that's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about the tentpole moments, right? Mm-hmm. Um, of attacking the beloved family member. The one that the, we've put a lot of time and effort into developing this relationship. And uh, I have no problem letting the players marinate in that. And sit on it for weeks on end. If I know I'm going to have a big break, this is a paradigm shift. You are not the same character that you were before. After this happens, right? And so there should have been a big break between 
but you guys wanted to role play through it, and that's not on me as a DM to to be able to tell you whether or not you can connect with um with the actions in game. Right? That's not my job. My job is to present scenarios and see how you guys react to them. Mm-hmm. Right? So if I turn around next week and I say, all right, so this big, amazing, crazy thing happens. Let's fast forward two months, get over it. Is that any better? Or if I say, hey, we're going to come back right to the moment after this happens. I'm going to leave you traumatized in a week and you are going to sit there with your character sheet and you're going to be mad for seven days trying to find out what you can do to undo this and who do we know what npcs who's got what items who's got the bag of holding we got to fix this for a week when there is no way to fix it and that's not fair either having it as a chapter break and letting everybody walk away and then come back and try to figure out where they stand is in my opinion the respectful way of handling this otherwise it's it's undermining sure so that's uh that's where I'm coming from on that. Okay, uh, you're next. What you got? Uh, a very very similar topic, and that is uh, killing the heart of the party. Um, the heart of the party is let's be honest. There's one person in every D and D party that everybody loves. One character that is not necessarily the main character, but the character that brings everybody together. Hmm. Yep. Is that fair to say? Yep. There's one for good or for ill. There is one character that brings everyone on board and focuses everyone together. When you target and kill that player, or that player's character, not the player, please don't murder the players around the table, Terry. So, <laughs> so, so I'd never admit to it, would I? Uh, so, Get enough uh, drinks in you, probably. Um, <laughs> but when you are going after uh, the what I consider the heart of the party, where when this person dies, the entire dynamic changes. When any player or when any character dies... Um, there's going to be a little bit of a of a paradigm shift, but I'm talking about when you kill the person that is the motivating factor. When there is the person who is the, the, going to be the next prince and has been prophesized, and that person falls in a volcano, what do you do, right? <laughs> and you as a DM have to be aware of the fact that if you're going to imperil these, these um, driving forces in the party, then you are going to completely derail a campaign. And so I suggest that... Absolutely threaten everybody. Go after them. But have a contingency for a contingency for a contingency. Always have backup plans ready to go because um, your party's going to be kind of in shock and awe. And the the perky little halfling that was everybody's best friend is now dead. Well, why are they all together now? They don't even, the rest of them don't like each other. They were all here because the halfling brought them together. Right. Right. When it, Whether or not they're... The motivation, Dan, your character was was going off to uh, to save his daughter in this underwater city. There was no other reason to go there. And the others said, we will go with you because that's what you're going to do. There were, there were other reasons, but they didn't know that when they signed up. They signed up to, we will help you save your daughter. And so if your character had died, they would have abandoned that. And now what? That is an entire portion of the campaign over there that is just dead mm-hmm. in the water. <laughs> so, so <laughs> she was dead in the water. I your got daughter, it. I got it. When your daughter died in the water, she was in the water. That's why. Yeah, I, I got it. I got it. Yeah. Oh, come on, man. I'm sorry. So, uh, <laughs> I'm sorry. So, but it's it's the same thing. Um, when you guys are are now trying to go back and and resurrect all of the previous campaign's heroes who were turned to stone and and there the cave in you guys are going to go excavate them and resurrect them and bring them all back 
right? If you get there and those characters aren't there anymore because they quote unquote just died, it doesn't just undermine absolutely everything. These are these are player characters that technically exist. I, I, you can't just remove um, a player character, especially the one where there are real campaign motivations. You can't just remove them and have it be be okay. I've talked in the past about you know run funerals, what happens when players die, but what happens when the character, capital C, the main character, the driving force, what happens when they die? You have to be prepared for that. And it can't just be as simple as their long lost twin brother shows up with the exact same skill sets and spells known. Yeah. Right. So, um, I like going after all of the all of the characters, but we killed uh, Solomon Duke, hmm. and that left a hole in the party. Every one of the players sat there. And went, well, now what? Hmm. Right. And it di- directly affected all of the characters. So now what? So now, in a one shot, they went and raided Solomon Duke's apartment. Oh, they did? Oh, yeah. shit. Yeah. Oh. It was very booby-trapped. Ooh, yeah, it was. <laughs> it was. Now, yeah. that, now, whatever they found, that wasn't mine. I was holding it. I was holding, <laughs> fuck it, I was holding that for a friend. I was holding <laughs> that, and it was not mine. <laughs> Why were you holding three women for a friend? <laughs> <I> was... no. <laughs> but, but the point remains, for me anyway, um, I would not go after the heart of the party. Really more than once in a campaign and and consistently be killing the driving force behind it. You're doing yourself a disservice as a DM, right? You can come up with the setting and the overarching plot, but it's really the characters that are doing all of this. And you're along for the ride trying to react. Yeah. Cool. Um, That's me. That's yeah. you. Attacking friends. Attacking friends. Um... I think, um, well, you said, you know, nothing binds you closer than blood. And I think in a lot of cases, Dan, that is correct. But then also there's uh, some bonds are closer with friendship, right? More than family, just just because of the way it is. Um, and I think it's going to have a similar effect to family. Um, sometimes people are friends because you have, you have mutual interests or you, those kind of friends are, you can, you can benefit each other. Sometimes there's friends where that bond is like family. Uh, and I think so these are like NPCs that go with you like on the NPCs, missions. Yeah, and, and I'm thinking, uh, I'm thinking back to Yormi, our, our goblin ally. I'm thinking, um, um, I'm, shit, snaps. I've been, I've been out oh, that campaign so long. I the, forgot the, the NPC's name. The Kenku child. Yeah, <laughs> I, I, I find uh, at certain times the there will be some NPCs that we we consider friends, the Yormis and the snaps that become the part of the party. Yeah. No, no, no. <laughs> Fuck that guy. Fuck that guy hard. He got exactly what he deserved when he deserved it, if not a little late. A little far too late. Yeah, far, far too, too late. Too late. Anyway. Megan. Anyways, uh, but but for me, my, my point is it can still, even though it's typically NPCs, <coughs> it can still change a group because you can have such a tie to somebody that the entire, it's like the entire party's alignment can shift. If it's suddenly, fuck what we stood for before, this was a direct attack on us. This was a personal attack on us. Or this person did not deserve this. And so it doesn't matter what the consequences are. It doesn't matter what we stood for before. This is the direction that we're going now. I I remember when I joined your guys' group initially. And we all sat down and we went out for drinks as you guys met me. Mm. And I sat across the table and... I asked, you know, what are the big things I need to know coming into this game? Because I know that there's 
every single group's got their own rules. And I think it was either you or Jamie said to me, if Yormi dies, we riot. Yep. And that phrase came up weekly. Yeah. All the way till the end of that That campaign. little goblin was always in so much peril and always it's, got by by the skin of his fucking teeth. And was the most loved NPC I think I've ever come across ever. And was created completely by accident by the deck of many things and should never have existed. Well, I it was know. actually a horse. <laughs> I, I, I know Jamie specifically like told me, you know, we're glad to have you on. It's really fun having you in the game. But if you in some way, shape or form harm your me, you're out. Yeah, that was pretty much what That just sounded like a very jammy thing to say. Right? <laughs> and I don't blame him for that because Yormi's amazing. Right? Uh, 100%. It, and, and it made sense when he told, told me that. But these connections you build with these NPCs are so tight that to strain them is... You mentioned that we were so laser focused when you took our 42. Yeah. If, if you are wanting to pull your party in the direction you want them to go, if, if you've been having fun in the sandbox for a little while, it's time to hop on the choo-choo train to get to this end uh, beat so yeah. that we could stop for the three-month break or whatever it is. Yeah. And take an NPC. Yeah. Take take that beloved NPC and friend. People get attached. Um, individual characters or players will get attached to NPCs. Maybe other people are not getting attached to. Mm-hmm. I remember. Do you know what? I was actually... Really broken up about when they when they died was Jarilla, and uh, oh the hooker. I was bothered. I was, well, you were you were looking for a new relationship. I was. I that bothered me that one. She I was infested with Chul. <laughs> but Chul I mean, were infested with her. No. The other the other players like weren't too wrapped up, and I was kind of standing character. But I was like, I actually really liked that character, and I was like, ah oh, fuck. Which was, she was so different than everything else. Everybody else was a convict, and she was a hooker. She was just trying to trying to live, right? Yeah. She's, yeah. And you were opportunistic. Um, okay, so um, whose turn is it? Is it my turn? All right. So the last, my last point is. Uh, threatening and killing half of the party. And I think this happens more often than people realize because parties split. And when you have a five-person party and two of them go left and three of them go right, and the three that go right end up falling into the volcano, that is half the party gone. And you as a dungeon master need to understand that if you're going to do that level, it's almost a TPK. You almost have that total party kill, but not quite. There's still the people that are left over, the remnants that are left behind. How do you introduce new people into this campaign? How do they handle losing that many friends? Do they become more cautious? Does gameplay change? Does their role-playing change? Do they swap an alignment? Mm-hmm. Um, do they just abandon everything they're working on and run away? Do they say, you know what, I'm done with these characters, We're, let's just roll up a new campaign. Right? When there are, It can go so poorly, killing half of the party. However, I am a big fan of of dangling them by their nether bits over a fucking vat of acid, right? And 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 having the other half have to save them. But there's got to be seven or eight ways to save them. And it's got to be relatively foolproof. And they've got to be able to have, make saves, constitution saves against the acid damage that they're yeah. going to get for half damage. And if there's a creative way that they come up with, they could probably get some sort of escape themselves or whatever it is. Yeah, yeah exactly. Right. So I'm a big fan of threatening half the party at a time and letting the other half go, oh, shit, what do we do? Because that puts a really cool level of stress and strength. When the Temple of Elementalism started to fall, 
And the four um, people that were in it were all like one person was feather falling. Another person was invisible. The monk was running down the side of it. The, someone else had teleported away. Another one dove into a portal. And because you're going to fall 510 feet onto spinning blades. And everyone was like freaking out. How do we get down here? And half the party got out and the other half didn't. And everyone was like, oh my god, oh my god, oh my god. And everyone around the table was stressed, even though their character was safe. Because it wasn't just, oh, that person's in trouble. It was we, collectively, as a group, are fucked. Yeah. And it really brings the party together. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. Because the enemy of my enemy is my friend, right? So everybody suddenly has a common goal, and that goal is just to live, yeah. right? And so I think it's really effective to do, but I... I like threatening. I'm not a fan of killing half the party. You keep seeing online these stories of, ha-ha, and then the wizard went down, and two rounds later the cleric dropped, and I'm like, you're DMing wrong. Hmm. You've imbalanced this, or they they did not have the resources necessary, and you, I mean, I don't like to pull my punches, but there should be some warning. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna say, oh, you know what, I'm I'm gonna not roll these dice to hit you, or I'm gonna pull. Uh, there's only going to be half as many goblins behind the door. I am going to say there's a sign on the front of the door that says, warning, 25 goblins. You're right. I don't like to pull punches. But I'll but telegraph I, but I also more. don't want to... But yeah, I don't want to pull theirs too much either. You know, yeah. Yeah, we play with... And this whole episode is about attacking the character sheet in different ways that we can hurt them. But, I mean, it's no fun to just... To just completely incapacitate everybody and then just fuck them up and just watch and laugh. Like, who's enjoying that? You know, as much as we say, you know, you can't win at Dungeons and Dragons. That goes times ten for the dungeon master. Yeah, right. You're not even a player at this table. Yeah. What right? you, exactly, DM? What are you winning? That's a great point. What do you think you're winning? Right. So I'm I'm not a fan of wiping out multiple people in a single go. If it happens, I mean, death spirals hit. And sometimes it's out of your control. Yeah. But, I mean, at that point, the survivors need to go looking for resurrection spells or something. You need to get this party back on track ASAP. Yeah. Right? So, that's... And and that's if you can. Because, let's be completely honest, the dreaded TPK can hit. Yeah. Right? Um, and... Yeah, let's talk about that for a second. Yeah, let's talk about that for a second. Um, let's end on that. Yeah, we will. Uh it's happened quite a few times, and it happens either because uh, it was intentional and you're setting up another story beat, um, which is kind of what you did at the end of the last campaign. It wasn't necessarily a total party kill, but it was a, here is a final almost... Uh, I was uh, I took ev all of the players off the map, yeah. and nobody knew who lived and who died, and so it Ex was a big question mark, yeah. right? So, and you did that because... We needed to have some finality to that campaign before we moved on to this next leg that, you know, impacts the previous campaign, but is its own separate thing. Um, and I think that's the one time a TPK is allowed. Uh, yeah, quote, unquote, unquote, allowed. Quote, unquote, allowed. Um, Where it's not in poor sportsmanship. It, it's right? not in poor sportsmanship. Exactly. It, it's not poor conduct. Um, throwing a colossal red dragon at a party of level 10s. Poor sportsmanship. Poor sportsmanship. Like, DMs, you need to learn to balance your encounters properly. Um, but that being said, um, you could go too far in the other direction and everything is just daisies and roses and they're tra traipsing through the fields. Yeah, and you know, there has to, we talk a lot about dragons specifically, for example. We talk a lot about, in the dragon episodes, the idea of using a dragon at different tiers and whatnot. Yeah. Even an ancient dragon dangling them in front of a level four party, right? 
Because at that point, it's a role-playing, it's a social encounter, yeah. it's environmental, or right? And so you're, it's not combat. But what you're, what you're saying is right. If you drop a red dragon, I will kill you all, and then fire breath. Everybody, everybody make a deck save, but who gives a shit? Because none of your max hit points are higher than half of the damage it can do. Exactly. Right. That's poor sportsmanship, yeah. right? Um, and, and you as a DM need to recognize if you're dropping this massively powerful encounter in front of your party of low le- lower level that you know for a fact they're not going to be able to handle, it is a social encounter, and they may spank but they're not going to murder the entire group and leave. Right? They are going to have a little conversation, levy threats, maybe take out one of them, or an, this is a great time to kill that beloved NPC family member or ally. Um, That's what I did with Demogorgon with you guys. Yeah. You guys failed. You guys failed hard. You face-planted as a group in that encounter. And as a result, you lost three NPCs, had uh, an intelligent weapon get destroyed, and have your pirate ship leave without you. And you guys got fucked. Yep. Even though you all hit zero hit points. Yeah, uh, we actually, we we did TPK that encounter. And, and uh, this is the next thing I kind of wanted to go into. If you accidentally get a TPK at the table, um, remember that being knocked to zero hit points is not necessarily death. Um, and you can do things like bring up your party wakes up in a prison with none of their items or weapons on them and you have to break out or are in other ways captured. Or um, you can just be left face down in the mud on the side you, of the road. And you wake you wake up who knows how many days later and now you have to rediscover what the hell happened. Like there, there's, there's ways that you could bring the party back through there. Unless someone is like cut in half, then you have to deal with that. But... Um, as a DM, you have to be very careful when you get to the dreaded threat of the TPK. You see the death spiral happening, and you don't know how to correct it. You have to have some, you mentioned earlier, contingencies, contingencies, contingencies. Have some sort of way that you know if this wipes out the party, here's how we can continue this campaign. And this really comes down to our Big Bad Evil Guys episode where we said it's all about the motivation, right? So they, your bad guys may not be there for the kill. They may be there to just remove this this incessant annoyance, mm-hmm. right? How many people get, get annoyed by a, the fly buzzing around their head and they kind of backhand swat mm-hmm. at it? They're not going to catch it in their hand and crush it to death. They're just like, fuck off. Mm-hmm. Just, yeah. just go, go away, right? right? And that can be what your Big Bad Evil Guy, you know what? I've humiliated you. And I've taken your shit. Yeah. Well, and go it can, back to your. It can farm. also be most dragons, and I know a lot of them in fifth edition don't have this kind of backing to them, but they have these magical abilities. They could just be like, "You're across the world now," and they teleport you away. Yeah, and you know what? I don't even need to give that to the dragon. The dragon is smart enough to have a teleportation circle in their lair. Right? Bam, you're gone. Right? They just knock you out one at a time and throw you on the circle. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right? And that's that's it. We don't need any more than that. Yeah. So. TPKs are are hard, but even when everyone gets reduced to zero, you guys watched me do this. I let you all think that you died. Mm-hmm. And then I said, okay, good time for everyone to have a break. Come on back into the room in about 10 minutes and it'll be fine. You guys came back in and then I revealed, and you wake up, you're locked up in cages. Yeah. This is a good opportunity for you to really lay on um, the the melodrama a little bit thick. Yeah, well remember the you don't know what their motivations are. They may want you alive and knocking you unconscious is going to be a way for them to um, remove the threat of you, but they may need you alive. 
for whatever reason. So I think, yeah, that waking up in and, chains or whatever. And the easiest way to do that is, you are the prophesized one, right? And then, well, there we go, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, so, so we're getting to the end of the episode here. Is there anything else we want to talk about attacking the character sheets? I think I think it is a tool many DMs forget they can use, and they should go for it with caution, with transparency with their players to a certain extent. I I agree completely. I think all of that stuff is available. You got to be transparent with it from session zero. You have to remind them along the way that this threat is possible. And laying out that expectation, laying out that agreement, and then putting it to them. If you're down, you're down. If you're not down, but everybody else is, this might not be the one for you. No. If if you just got a total party kill from Sturges, maybe lay off the ability drain for about six months. Yeah. Yeah. Right? So, like, there's, there's some common sense to be used here Gaze as well. Gaze the room. Gaze the room. Yep. Um, the one thing we didn't touch on, but I want to bring up really, really quickly, we, when we were talking about backstories and, and attacking them... Uh, and you mentioned the charlatan um, background, and then all of a sudden they're outed as a con man and whatnot. A lot of players come to the table with secrets. And a lot of the times it's up to the DM to reveal those secrets, and that can be a form of attacking that character. Yeah, for sure. That has to be done with some tact. Don't just, well, uh, obviously you were from the gladiator pits, and everybody knows it already, so you don't even need to hide that shit anymore. Right, like there's there's more to it than that. Yeah, you need to come at this with a little bit of um. You need to put yourself in the player's shoes. How would they want their secret to be revealed, if ever? And do you provide them opportunities to come out with this secret and to reveal it themselves, or do you out them through NPCs or clues or whatever? Right, um, and. There are lots of interesting ways to to reveal secrets. We should really do an episode about secrets at some point. That, yeah. That's pretty deep. Um, well that we can tap into. But I would really say, as much as we're talking about attacking the backstory, attacking the background, if you're going to attack a secret, I would get the player on board uh, before the session starts and say, hey, we're going to reveal this, this session. Exactly. Uh, yeah. I'm not going to tell you how, but it's going to be upsetting or or it's going to be rewarding or whatever. And, and don't do it too quickly into the campaign. If it's session three and you're talking oh, about... Oh, why bother having this, a secret? Why yeah. bother having a secret? This should be like session 12. I would even... Yeah. I'd, or later. Yeah, right? way later. Yeah. yeah. Terry, you got anything else to add? No, I added my bit right on top of yours there. Cool. Um, nope, not for me. That's it for this week's episode on Attacking the Character Sheet. You guys can find us on iTunes, Spotify, and YouTube, as well as dozens of other podcast apps. You could also find us at www.itsamimic.com or email us at info at itsamimic.com. Thanks for listening to the It's a Mimic podcast, and make sure to check us out next week when we're covering Blue Dragons. It's going to be electrifying. Oh, God. <laughs> Thank you for listening to It's a Mimic. Check us out online at itsamimic.com or on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Have questions you would like answered by the guys on the show? Send them an email to itsamimic at gmail.com. Tune in every Tuesday for more. If there's one thing that's missing from your character sheet, what would it be? Oh. The uh, standard character sheet. What is the one thing you always want to add to I it? like sanity there to be... I know it's optional rule, but I think sanity as standard should be there. Yeah. We yeah. wrapped up Call of the Call of Cthulhu game, and I really like the luck mechanic. 
I would like to see something of that kind of equivalent there. I also think that the inspiration thing, because we do inspiration different than uh, Wizards prescribes to do inspiration, I think there should be more space for inspiration. Hmm. Yeah, the thing for me is I want I want the place for your your dog or your horse or your intelligent oh, weapon. Oh, like your mount. Yeah, 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 you're right. Like everybody's got that follower or ally or weapon or whatever it is that has a has stats and yeah. you have nowhere to write it on it. And everybody has one, right? Like yeah. everyone just grabs an index card and hopefully crams it in with small it enough be, writing. Yeah, exactly. it can be an extra page that just covers mounts, familiar. Well, I've, I've seen that, but I mean, there's never enough room on, on the character sheet for all of your class features by the time you're level 12 anyway. Yeah. That feels like there needs to be a third or fourth page, mm. right? You guys always say yep together at the same time. Well, that's and it's we really starting to stroke my ego. because we agree. <laughs> <laughs> we agree. We, we, we really got to stop stroking Adam. Yeah. Do you know what? I was actually, I swear, I was just about to say, we're being very well behaved tonight. But you... That's, yeah, we're now Dan dragging us down to the gutter. Yeah. That's it. We're putting this on the end of the episode. Oh, no.